Did you guys miss me while I was gone? They, they totally missed me. Um, <laughs> welcome to Rantcast 51. Uh, I am, of course, the magical Mr. Mephisto, the most dangerous man in Age of Sigmar. Joining me tonight is actually Shu from Rerolling Once. Uh, you know... Uh, you know him for his, his rapid-fire wit and great cold opens, um, and paint, and mad, mad painting skills. <laughs> um, how, how's it going, Shu? It's going well, sir. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, this is actually, a uh, this is another one of Jack's great ideas, so if it goes, depending on how it goes, you, you, you either make fun of him or steal all the credit, right? So, so, like, you... Well, you know, Jack really is the idea guy. He's he, he is the talent. Okay. See, I thought you I thought you wrote all the like the the awesome cold opens. Uh, no, no, no. I, I, they're entirely a collaboration. So okay. I'd love to steal the credit for it. I can't give it all to Jack either. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like they're they're almost entirely uh, like one of us will come with an idea, and the rest of us will riff on it, and then before we know it, a camera comes out, and we have an intro. See, that's they're they're one of my favorite. I mean, they're. They're one of my favorite parts. Jack also said, I think, the, when he was on Rantcast, he mentioned, like, you know, bad reps tend to, like, really grab, like, newer players. And, like, I just find myself, like, you know, I'll, like, click through the bat reps, check the, like, ending. But, like, I'm always coming back for those cold opens. So, so that Thank they're, you. yeah, they're they're excellent. I uh, I even did one once upon a time on Rantcast. Uh, so, um, nice. so your, your genius has, has continued to inspire other folks. Um, but before we get into tonight's topic, we're actually going to be talking a little bit about Soulbounds, uh, about RPGs in general, kind of making that transition from wargaming to RPGs. Soren popping off with 10 gift subs. Wow, the mad lad at it again. Thank you so much for those, my friend. Everyone enjoy your Mr. Meff emotes, uh, especially the Nagash one, and especially go spam it uh, in Rob Symes, the Honest Wargamers uh, stream tonight later. Uh, flood... Flood Dan unsupervised uh, game and distract them completely. Let's get some ki players killed tonight in uh, Soulbound and Down. Um, <laughs> Soren says I love rerolling ones. By the way, thank you. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> love you back. Um, so yeah, um, Nagash Husbando pillow. By the way, yeah, Nagash Husbando pillow is is best idea. Uh, I <laughs> is best idea. <laughs> is, is best yeah. idea. Like we need. We, we had need... a little tiny trophy gave to carry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, so before we get into the, before we get into everything tonight, um, I just want to uh, mention, I think this is technically the last uh, Rantcast stream for the month of May, uh, which means this is the last video you will have the opportunity to comment on to get entered into that giveaway for new players. That box of Stormcast Eternals provided by the mad lad himself, Soren. Uh, remember, it's for new players. Or if you're trying to indoctrinate a new player, leave a comment on YouTube, uh, on this, on the VOD for, the, for this or any of my videos that you've, you've watched in the month of May. Uh, you'll get entered into that giveaway. It'll be a random drawing. Uh, I said drawing. Everyone heard that, right? Drawing. <laughs> drawing. Uh, the, <laughs> the random drawing. Uh, Lulu will actually come in uh, and draw a hat. Yeah, my name is Simon. I like to do drawings. Nice <laughs> SNL cut. Well done. Well done. All right. Yeah, it was a jerk grenade. It took you a second no, for it to go off. No, no, yeah. I got it. I got it. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, 
And rabbit hole number one of the night. I can't even get through my, uh, I can't even get through my, like, shilling before. Has, did anyone read, I believe Tomb King Tristan shared it on Twitter, but it's been going around, the, uh, how the Stevie Nicks Fajita Roundup SNL bit came to be? Are you familiar with this? Oh my no. gosh. It's, 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 it's not, you can't find it on YouTube. It's not even on, like, uh, NBC's website or anything. Like, you have to go to the Wild West that is Daily Motion to find the Stevie Nicks Fajita Roundup. But it is... It's so good. <laughs> 10 out of 10 do recommend. It's on my top five list. But yeah, it's enough about SNL. Giveaway. Leave a comment. Uh, leave a comment below. Uh, mention, hey, I'm new. Mention the giveaway. Uh, and give me a little bit of why you're trying to get into Age of Sigmar. Uh, if you're trying to indoctrinate your friend, uh, obviously give me a bit of a spiel about them. Uh, rant, and then we'll do that. But I've got one more somber announcement. Uh, I'm sorry, everybody. As many of you know... Um, Last week I was on Vince Venturella's uh, channel rather than my own to run the first adventure for our Soulbound game, the best damn Soulbound show ever. Uh, you might notice that someone is missing from chat gang tonight. Uh, that someone is in Cantabot. So my computer uh, had a, a massive sort of meltdown. I had to do a clean install of, of Windows. And in Cantabot, who has been with me through about seven years, four builds of a rig... Three different apps, because I programmed in Cantabot initially in IIRC, uh, then jumped that over to Ankbot, and then finally in, in the Streamlabs uh, chatbot. So Ripperoni uh, in Cantabot. I will rebuild in Cantabot, but uh, I think this is an opportunity to commemorate uh, in Cantabot with a drawing contest. <laughs> so... You have about a week between now and the Ranties. Those are going to be uh, June 6th. That's a Saturday at 7 o'clock uh, Central. Uh, send me some fan art on the Twitters, yo. Uh, and uh, I I'm going to I'm gonna take my... Uh, the secret committee will get together. They'll choose the best one. And uh, I, the, the, the goal is to have fun. Draw what you think I think Incantabot has always looked like. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe it's a... Maybe it's like a... Maybe it's like Clippy... The uh, the Microsoft like thing, but with a wizard hat. Like, who know? Maybe it's Kirby because he, because Encantabot often does the Kirby dance. Uh, you know, like maybe it's Kirby. Like I I don't know what what. Maybe it's some wicked skeleton. Who knows? All right, but that's it. That's enough shilling for me tonight. How's it going, man? It's going well. Um, now you got me on a tangent thinking about what incarnation my computers would be. Yeah. And they're pretty much just a funnel to send video games and horrible information into my brain. So I would think, like, at first, oh, it's a loyal dog. And then, no, no, it's pretty much a microscope that medically is fascinated with all the horrible things in the Internet. Yeah. So. See, I, I mean, think about that. Like, the, the nature of relationship we have with our computers now, and um, especially now with, like... <laughs> With, with the, you know, with COVID-19, we're all sort of like in our various forms of isolation, state, you know, different states and different, different countries all have their standards right now. But for the most part, there's this, this, this growing isolation and the digital relationships we have. When I found out that like, okay, I, I, I managed to keep my like, my photos of my kids because I was all on one partition, right? And my partition was just fine. My OS was on a different drive. And, uh. And when in Cantabot, like when I'm like, oh, sh like I was just like, oh, shit. Like I, it was like the first thing I realized after I got everything up and working again, I got my streams going. I'm like, it's just a text document. 
That's all Encantabot technically is. A plain text document with code, ifs and thens, right? And like, I was, I felt like I lost a friend. I was, it, it, all it does is like, hey, if you like the stream, hit follow, and then it just dances. That's all, like, that's it. But it was, it was heartbreaking for me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that relationship we have with our computers. You actually, uh, your, your most recent cold open on the uh, uh, Legion of Grief versus Order vid actually kind of played around with that a little bit. You want to... Actually, we were kind of talking about the inspiration for Gold Opens at the start. You want to take a little bit through through that, actually? Yeah, so the the skit features um, basically a, a almost real-life telling of uh, me and Jack becoming reunited um, to hand off a miniature that I painted for him. I really did paint that miniature for him. He posted it in our, in our team chat at one point, and I said, oh, I like that dude. He's like, you want to paint him? I said, sure. So I, I painted the guy and I wanted to give it to him, but we've been, you know, a little like, how do we do this? So I like, put him on the ground and then walk off and then you come up and then pick him up. And as we were talking about that, like, okay, this is just an intro. We just need to do this. Um, so it's, it's culturally relevant at the same time, painting the absurdities of what we're living in right now. Yeah. Which is, I don't even know well, what is yeah, going on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm just kind of in survival mode at this point. I'm done trying to like figure it out. I'm just like, I'm gonna try to survive. Keep you know, not not infect people with the with what could be the World War Z plague. You know, do my responsible yeah. things, uh, and just um, and just going like it's just been a survival mode for me. But it's a lot of like humor to get mm -hmm. through everything. Like watching the funniest movies I can think of. Uh, you know, for me, uh, Firefly. Firefly. I watch it once every year. Uh, all the way through, and sometimes I'll watch Serenity, but I don't. Serenity's not a real movie. It is a. Uh, it is. It's a. I don't know how to put it. A it's derivative one... hunk of junk. I'm kidding. I'm no, kidding. I just it's, to shoot it. it's it's a fine movie. It just like I don't like that it kills all possibility. That bothers me. Mm, yeah. I, li I like how the TV show ends where like they could still be out there like still flying and doing stuff but around the time you uh, uh, you like kill off two two of the major characters and say like yeah this is I'm like I don't I would rather think about what could be than be told like it's not coming back so so I, I have mixed feelings about it yeah, yeah the power of potential is really strong isn't it like um the, the minute I saw the concept of a midichlorian de described to me on the silver screen, I was like, wait, so I'm not actually a Jedi? There's no chance? I have to have this bug in my blood? Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Like, that's completely, like, you could hear it palpably shatter in the room. All yeah. these people that had that little fantasy that somewhere deep in their world they could have been a Jedi. But that's gone because you need this bug, bug, blood bug. And yeah, yeah like that. space algae, basically. It's the, yeah, it's the yeah. Akira so, thing. Yeah, the, the power of fantasy. It's like, let let us have that doubt. Let us have that little thing to hang on to. Yeah. That maybe we'll get more. Right. I, I think, I mean, that you're, you're onto something there. Like, the mystery, you should never explain every mystery in any fiction. Um, and this, this is going to be a tip when we start talking about building your campaigns. Mm -hmm. This is important to remember. Your players may want explanations for everything. Don't give them all to them. Explain yeah. the stuff. Let them uncover mysteries and truths and stuff like that. But you never want to fully explain everything. Because, yeah. I mean, 
Stephen King's got a fantastic quote, and I'm going to change one word in it to make it more applicable. But he says he says that explanation is anathema to the poetry of, and I'd say, storytelling. That, like, uh, okay. uh, he says the, to the poetry of fear, but for me it's the poetry of storytelling. But storytelling is about suspense and payoff. Yeah. And you, like, you know, Hitchcock's a fantastic master of suspense because he plays with that that nature of mystery, what the character knows versus what the audience knows. And, like, is constantly pulling on those two chords back and forth. When you're GMing, that's what you're doing. Except your mm-hmm. audience is also the actors. And so it's an even more delicate balance of, of like, the sort of push-pull. Now, yeah. one, one thing that really works for you in an RPG sense that may not work in movies and books is the suspension of disbelief is, like instantaneous because it's such it's a game it's pure you're like just plugged in and sucked in you can paint really broad stroke stories and the player's absurdity will i mean it can just be as simple as go save the princess or yeah like get the magic item to the cave like you can do basic stories like that and since the characters will always be some form of absurd or some form of conflicted or some form Mm -hmm. of like over the top they'll be able to make that story even better as you kind of riff off of them. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's interesting as, as a, <clears throat> as a GM, you might not always know the answer to the thing. Like, so you can seem cryptic, like you have a big master plan, but you have not actually figured that out yet. That's okay. Your players don't know. It's, it's like the classic, nobody knows you're drunk until you do something. <laughs> and that makes everybody know you're drunk. So it's, it's, uh, but I, I would recommend that, like, there are methods out there. You can look into this stuff, um, and I could describe a few of them for you. That there are mental calisthenics that help you memorize little story beats better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the first things you learn when you do improv. For example, if any of you have done improv, um, comedy or drama or otherwise. Um, but or you could just take notes. Say <laughs> so, so. If like there's a story beat that happens, like a player broke a fountain out of frustration and you just write that down mm-hmm. because later on the guards might come out and be like, Hey, you're going to pay for that fountain. And it, it could have been like two hours ago and people are like, wait, what? And it's like, you know, you broke this fountain. You have to pay, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but you don't need to be an expert GM to, to fit these story beats in or even have all the answers, but taking notes of the, the interesting things that happen can turn into those, those moments that turn into big answers for the story. Well, I mean, it, it, some of your best story beats come 100% from the players. I'd posit, um, you know, my best stories have always, the the core big payoff climaxes and scenes are very rarely my own, like, pre-planned events. Especially since if you try to railroad players toward your pre-planned events and your stuff. which you What's better is you kind of, like, you want to be sitting in the roller coaster with your players, I find, and then, like, yeah. have billboards of your events up around the railroad tracks that you, like, sometimes you, if you get close, you wave at it. But if you miss that one for, like, a more interesting loop, you, you just stay on the player's roller coaster. You know, like, you yeah. you nudge them and you guide them. But, like, but you'll find you can work. Your, your story is never so grandiose. You can't get to it from a different direction. You know, if you have, like, this big payoff scene, you're like, I must reveal that the king is evil, right? Like, I have to do this. This is the big story moment I've been building up toward. 
And you're just like, well, how does the king reveal that it's evil? Because, like, the party's just been, like, partying and high-fiving the king this whole time. Well, actually, you've just given yourself a fantastic problem to solve. Right. With the players now, and you've changed that direction now. Now, you, well, now, maybe is the king really evil? Or was it the brother now? Because, like, the party clearly loves the king. You know, like, or, you know, you, 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 by being able to, like, improv, and kind of mm -hmm. moving, uh, moving with the players' motions, like that's where you're really um, gonna. It's the yes. You're yes anding your players, really, is what it comes yes down and, to. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you're, you're yes anding your players, really, is yeah. is the best way to put it. So for those of you watching, you don't know what that means. Just you want to try not to say no or hard stop your players when they have some kind of inspiration. You want to follow that inspiration with them and see how that 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 might mutate your story to a point where you can't handle it. But it's just like if it, you see somebody playing. Um, I think it was Oblivion uh, I was playing, and this lady comes out, and she's like, I need your help. There's an ogre eating all my onions. And I'm like, oh, goodbye. <laughs> like, that's not a you problem. And, like, that has to be, like, okay. Uh, and if you need to bring that back, like, no, no, you guys really do need to go sort these ogres out. Um, you got to add, you know, something else other than this lady's onions are really important. Right, you know, right. They're not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's the, like... There's a little bit of like a um, a social contract when it comes to RPGs, you know. Like if I describe a note falling to the floor, you know, usually the party is going to pick up the note and read it, right? Uh, yeah. That's not always the case, though. Sometimes you describe the note, but then like two players are just like they're thick in their in each other's RP. They're like back and forthing. Well, like you know, you can rein that in a little bit, but kind of also then facilitate that, and, like, maybe now that becomes the catalyst for something. Yeah. I mean, every hero journey starts with, like, what your ordinary world is, and then you have this call to action, and then there's, like, the stakes at play. Like, what happens if you say no? Um, like, you know, I I don't want to do this, so do you, as a GM, you can either force them into it, be like, oh, well, you're blackmailed, you have to go, or somebody's holding somebody you love hostage, um, or it could be a, no, it really seems like the right thing to do, which can be fun if you have a, a party, especially in like Soulbound, where your good guy characters are not necessarily good people, right? <clears throat> so your um, call to action might actually be refused by your players, and they're still in character. Um, so that can be kind of a fun thing to, to work around. I don't know. I, I enjoy working those kinds of problems. I think other people who might be considering running a game of Soulbound might be terrified of that. Or if they've only done Wargaming and haven't done any uh, like RPGs or improv or whatever, that also might be pretty scary for them. Mm -hmm. um, so a good place to pull inspiration would be, you know, maybe from, from Battle Plans in the AOS books. Um, they describe a scenario of why two people might be fighting. And it's really easy to take that and work that into, you know, the call to action. Just as an example. Yeah, yeah. So do you want to walk this maybe back to, like, well, how, you know, Soulbound has brought up, like, a really interesting, a really interesting good problem to have, is a lot of people who who have either played RPGs and kind of, like, haven't in a while, or, like, they had an interest in RPGs but never got the opportunity to, or people mm -hmm. who had no in, no interest whatsoever are now like, oh, you know, I might, I might check out this Soulbound thing. So, like, yeah. you have this, this, these... War gamers to varying degrees, uh, with varying degrees of experience in in RPGs, suddenly more interested in getting into an, an RPG. 
How do you think you build that bridge from war game to RPG? So this takes a little bit of background, I think. Um, like, right off the bat, the path that I'm seeing, especially for the youngest people I see coming into the hobby, it's usually video games like Total War leads them into Warhammer, and then from that, they're going to discover Soulbound or discover RPGs as they get further down that rabbit hole. I mean, RPGs in general are vastly more popular than Wargaming. Uh, yes. So generally speaking, this isn't a problem, but it you know for those of you who are facing this kind of challenge, like how do you introduce people to it, um, there was a, <clears throat> a book released by Games Workshop in 2002 uh, called Skirmish. And it was not their first Skirmish book, but it was clearly their best, in my opinion. Uh, where they had talked about uh, each scenario involves one or two miniatures, and they usually had uh, like a two-foot by two-foot terrain board, and you use miniatures, and it described the scenario very cleanly. Like, you have one Bretonian knight, one paladin on foot, and one trogoth who is keeping them from crossing a bridge. Like, this is literally Billy Goat's graph. Um, but it's it's a scenario that you're playing out with your war game models on terrain that's still very visual and visceral for people who just want to get in there, crush monsters and roll dice and get loot. So um, it's a little bit like performing electronic music. Um, I think RPGs are as hard on you as you want them to be. Like you can have some of this stuff be automatic where you're using miniatures and where am I in the room is obvious because you can just look down at the physical representation of your character and that's done. Um, or it can be as hard on you as you want where you're playing um, via discord with somebody thousands of miles away and you only have the, you know, the depths of your imagination to describe the scenario. And uh, for the GM, you know, they have to keep a very dense mental picture of what the scene looks like. And they have to be keeping track of where players are in the room and where the monsters are in the room and that kind of thing for all the combat. They have to be able to answer questions of the players who are interrogating the scene. Um, you know, like you say, oh, I walk into a blacksmith's. Uh, um, uh, it's not a lair. <laughs> a blacksmith's workshop. Yeah. You walk into a blacksmith's <laughs> workshop. Uh, the blacksmith owes you money. You have no weapons. Uh, so you're going to improvise with something there. A player might say, oh, I'm going to grab a hot poker and attack the guy. Well, um, this kind of goes back to the whole you know try not to say no to your players but oh, yeah. keep them you know keep them kind of reined in for what's going on i don't want to give them too much power um and enchanted hot poker or whatnot right. um or if that stuff sounds super intimidating for you use your warhammer models and set up a little scene and say this is what we're doing right now we are in this village or we're in this camp or um you know we are at this you know and describe the scenario physically um, I feel like that is going to be the fact that we all have models for it already is uh, going to be a, a big advantage for players getting into Soulbound. Um, you can find a, a model that represents your dude and paint that dude, and it'll be awesome, and it'll give you a really strong and personal invested connection to that character. Um, and then it, I think that that right there gives Warhammer players a huge leg up over the traditional RPG players who started in their imaginations, um, and discovered miniatures later. So you're, you're kind of saying um, work with what you got, in, in a sense. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, cool. I mean, it, if you want to just take my belative crap and <laughs> boil it down to something useful, there you go, work with what you got. Um, I, I think uh, Heretics here here uh, has revisited my, uh, my dilemma of the king was the bad guy, and I don't want to reveal it, but uh, I was... Uh, I was being non-specific, but but in that situation, to answer like my own question, I would really read the room. 
what do why did I want the king to betray the party, right? Or the king to be the bad guy? Like it goes back to for me, I'm very uh, I think a lot about motivations. Um, you know, in acting or uh, it's it's very similar in writing, um, which is I'm actually like a writer storyteller side of things, and I have since that's been my bridge into basically everything else. Um, but like in in acting, it's what's you know what's the scene. What does this character want in the scene? What's stopping them from getting it? That's what you mm-hmm. ask yourself every scene to scene every time. Um, and that's going to build natural conflict. Um, I was watching yeah. a movie the other day, and I could see the beats like a beautiful mind. Just like, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, like that. It was still a really good movie, even if it was like the most basic version of that formula I've ever seen. Um, it was an indie film. It was, I can't even recall the name of it. it had a, oh man, I can't even remember. Um, it was on. It was on Hulu. Whatever. It was suggested. I just clicked the play button. This is what COVID <laughs> is doing to my mind. Like, oh yeah, it's just another movie I watch. It was f- yeah. funny. Um, You're so like, experienced. You don't even see the code anymore. You just see, you know, yeah, Brunette, Redhead. Yeah, that's right. The Matrix. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, well, and that's and that's what's happening is is you know, but but in terms of you know, one of the greatest advantages for me for RPGs over any other storytelling, uh, short of essentially improv. Is is that like you're kind of always actively uh, in a sort of writer's room co- collaborating? You're always yeah. in that in that collaborative mode. Now you might be the head writer in the room, but you're always mm-hmm. in this collaborative mode where someone says like just from the back of the room, you know, what if you know what if Stevie Nicks opens a taco hut, like, and then you're like, <laughs> yeah, look at that, coming back to the original tangent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, it's for you. Yeah, it's a callback. Um, <laughs> um, you know, and then you just go, "That's awesome!" And then like someone else in the room is like, "Yeah." So she's like singing a song, like, "There you go again. You say you want burritos. Well, who am I to to tell you no?" <laughs> like, oh, and then they start riffing <laughs> on the lyrics. Like you're doing stuff like that. Um, as a as a GM, you're a, you're as much a support role as you are a source of conflict, though. And yeah. that I think is really important. This notion of cooperative GMing versus uh, what is known as adversarial GMing, right? Mm-hmm. Where um, you know I I think stories hit a lot of you know it's 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 like a good Sunday. You you want to hit a lot of the flavors. You don't want just vanilla. So you want <laughs> the players to feel let down. You know sometimes because yeah. but you need to rem- why do the play why should my players feel let down in this scene? Because the triumph later on, they're going to get that bigger high from that triumph mm-hmm. later on. Like you need to be cognizant of that. Which, and I'm going to going to going to send this back at you. With with Age of Sigmar, it's it is competitive in in a in a it is a version of competitive. There's a win condition most oftentimes. Like you talked yeah, about, yeah, there's a winner and a loser. Yeah, yeah. You talked about like skirmish being a really good like sort of sort of starting point. Um, when you're the GM, how do you combat that? Like, what if you're okay? Like, you're you're an experienced like you know player of RPGs. You've got like that group of like three friends that like have played RPGs to a varying extent, but they are war gamers, you know. Yeah. And so they're going to come in with their war gamer mentality, which might be this notion of you know there is a winner and a loser. Do you think yeah. that's a barrier to crossing that bridge over to RPGs? <clears throat> and if so, how would you kind of deal with that? I think. So for me, I I I know I'm cheating a little bit here because I know you're you also love the storyteller systems from from uh, White Wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, I I you know that those were by far my favorite 
RPGs of all time. And one of the things as a storyteller I would do, that's the GM of the White Wolf system, as a storyteller I would attempt to say right off the bat, we're going to do a story together. This is, as you said, collaborative. And your character is not important. What matters here is that we all walk away from this experience with a story that will be fun for us to retell. And so the story is the character. The story is the thing that we're not going to kill. But I, And so I'm not going to guarantee players are going to survive. But I will sur- guarantee that if you do die, it will be because it's a tragedy. Or it will be hilarious. Or it will be because you're tired of that dude and want to roll another one. I like right? that. I like that. It's yeah. because you become the right. You suddenly find yourself wearing the red shirt and it's time for you to. to like, yeah. Like, or, or, yeah. Or the Spock going into the reactor. Right. I mean, yeah. there's there are a couple of different moments there where you can where you can lock in and say, OK, it's time. It's time. Yeah. And it should be something that is the player should feel complicit in. They should feel um well, not should. I, I don't want to say should. It's not, that's me prescribing some kind of authoritarian, like your RPG needs to do this. It doesn't. But I find that it's your players will be more on board for this wild stuff if that is their objective, if you guys all share the same objective. So um, a wargamer trying to win in an RPG, let me just like tackle that question real quick. Yeah. Um, there are some people that are super against power gaming and super against min-maxing and whatnot. It's fine. And they just, like, want to not roll dice, even. Like, there's a couple of diceless systems, like Amber and that kind of thing. Um, the Amber Chronicles. Um, the the thing I want to remind people of... Have you heard of that? What? Not rolling dice in a yeah. role-playing in game? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, go on. <laughs> um, I've, I've got the book out. I have to fish out of the closet, but it's, it's, it's an artifact, let me tell you. Um, anyway. The big picture here is that it's okay to let your player have a goal and then achieve it. It's okay. Yes. It really is. Yeah. Uh, in the next set of campaign or the next chapter or however you want to do it, you can move the goalpost a little bit further. It's okay for them to go into the next campaign or go into the next chapter feeling awesome about themselves. I did it. I, I you know, found the artifact for my church or I found... Uh, you know, I, I reunited these these people who have been lost forever, or I found I recovered the remains of my elders, right? Like all these things, like it's okay to get the thing and move on to the next step. If you look at a game like let's let's be super reductive for a second, look at a video game like Left 4 Dead. Everybody starts off with uh, you know a pistol or something, mm-hmm. and then you as you're going around, you pick up a weapon, but there's only usually one of those. So there's an Uzi, but there's only one. It's going to go one of the four players. You got to kind of work it out amongst yourselves who's going to get it. And usually nobody cares because the power ups, power up the new weapon is going to be just around the corner, anyways. And by the end of the scenario, everybody has something that they're happy with. Um, as they're going along, if the game had taken reservation with itself about going, I don't know, is the Uzi too powerful right here? No, press A. There's zombies coming at you. Like, <laughs> shoot them in the head. That's not what the story is about. Um, so. Uh, a wargamer trying to win in an RPG, they might say, okay, I'm going to win if I have the best Sigmarite armor and a crazy wild mount that nobody's seen before. I'm running a Skeksy from Dark Crystal, and I have a laser gun for that, that fell through warp space, and I've got a last cannon or whatever on my Stormcast. Like, okay, go bananas. Set whatever goal you want. Um, that is super not important. What is important is where they're taking that story, what they do with those things. Mm-hmm. And as the, the the challenge for the GM is to keep their interest once they are powerful. Right. Um, I found that that actually is 
so it's fear that keeps me from rewarding my players and that's that's bs to be honest yeah 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 and i, I think uh, it's important for a gm to recall to to really hone in and realize that you are a player as well um this yeah. notion that like the gm is somehow separate from the players like that's you know that that's that's always been like just sort of odd like an odd sort of mental barrier you don't need when you go into an rpg you are a player which might actually be an advantage war gamers have because like you know that you're all players um, yeah so, you remember that scene in the fight club where the guy gets pinned down by the dude uh by the cook mm-hmm. and he says we are the cleaners we are the your chefs we yeah. are your you know i'm like oh he's a gm yeah <laughs> he's a gm love it love he's it everybody else so you you mentioned something kind of going into this. Uh, you you mentioned skirmish first, and you started talking about like the sort of um, how they have like almost like this narrative thing going on with their. But narrative, I don't like narrative. I want to win trophies, man. Um, yeah, yeah. How do I like? I I think that if you you're interested in an RPG, you've you've already conceded that you're willing to be told a story in some sense. But do you think that there is a stigma like that, like RPGs or people who want to play RPGs, but also play war gamers, like you can't be competitive and play narrative or, or narrative. If you're, if you're a narrative player, you're going to be a better RPG gamer. Do you think there's anything along those lines that like a bias? Yeah. So, so I, I like to have a rule that says their, your fun is not wrong. So, Usually at every gaming table, I sit down for an RPG. There's like, you know, six people or whatever. Uh, one of them is going to be super into the story and wants to have a tragic romance or whatever, unrequited love, or save some kind of, you know, save a, a noble. Yeah. Um, and there's another person who just wants to roll dice, crush monsters, and have them explode into piles of loot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that They're both okay. So you have to be able to, as, as the person who's running the game, you have to be able to give each of those players enough kind of screen time to get um, to get that worked out, mm-hmm. to get that out of their system. Um, and I think that it's, you know, for somebody who's just like trying to avoid the weirdness or the awkwardness of pretending to be someone else, which by the way, uh, it does take some time to get over that as, a, as an adult, unless you have small kids around and you're used to just being a goof, it is hard yeah. to be suddenly transport your brain into um, okay, now I'm an elf. What does that mean? What does that even mean? Well, it means roll these 3d6 and hit that goblin in the face and tell me what happens. Like, start there, go simple, use miniatures, and then uh, over time you'll start to realize that you're moving the miniatures around on the board with the same directives that the character would have. Mm-hmm. And that is your gateway. That is when you start to realize you are you're getting into the head of your character and you're realizing, okay, you know, my character's a coward, and that's okay. Or you realize there's something about your character that surprises you. Yeah. Well, it, this is... Um, so, like, character development and, and character writing tricks. Give your character a quirk. This is this is a really easy... Uh, like, this is a really easy, like, improv trick that anyone... Mm-hmm. Like, you can pick up as a writer's trick. House. Uh, House MD with with um, was it Hugh Laurie. Um, fantastically yeah. acted, brilliant series. Giving... Yeah. House a cane. Brilliant character step. You think of, think about that as like a player character who's like, oh, I'm going to play the wizard who solves every problem with with science magic. Because that's House yeah. is a wizard. He's the he's the int twenty wizard. 
except you know his his uh, magical tomes are medical journals. Um, <laughs> well, not only uh, the cane is a brilliant touch in storytelling. Also, I just want to you point out a really good one, so I want to take a second yeah, to admire it. Yeah, the cane is a visual reminder of the fact that he's in pain all the time. Yes, and that's that's like literally his character. He's in pain all the time, so he literally struggles with this late in the show, and it pulls him away from everything he's dedicated his life to to chase not being in pain anymore. Yeah, the narcotics and stuff as they come <clears> up. Yeah. yeah. And he really he really struggles with that in the show. Um that is a that is something that like that's a character defining moment. That's yeah. not just like, oh I, I picked a quirk on my yes my talent sheet here so I can take two extra points in in charisma. Yeah. Right. So I'm not very fast, but I'm good looking. You know, like mm, it can turn into something that is role defining. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is the sort of thing where like, especially like early on you go, okay, like quirky, he's got the cane. He's like kind of sarcastic, but as that plays out, that quirk, like you said, becomes defining of conflicts later on. So this is my advice to players is give a player a flaw. It doesn't need to be a major soul defining flaw, but you'll find yourself by like, I like to make character smokers, you know, like just so that like when they're, because like when they're doing something like I like to talk about them smoking is lighting a cigarette or like, um, you know, like, uh, you go into a bar and you see a no smoking sign, like, Oh, my character lights a match on the no smoking sign and lights a cigarette. Like that, like giving my, giving yourself things to do that aren't combat related when you're building that character, mm-hmm. anything. My character is a voracious reader. She always has a, a romance novel tucked into the lapel of her coat. Like things like that, like where you're, like you just you just you can take some minor non-combat feature um and or cork and those little things will help you kind of get into the the mindset of your character they start out a little bit as like cosmetic details that you just go to every now and then mm-hmm. and as that game develops as you get more comfortable with that character you begin to know them and you begin to like expand suddenly it's not just like yeah. my characters are you know you know my character's a smoker my character's actually like an addict and like he covers up his pain with his scorn and then like you start to develop well it's not just the and you you know you can go in any directions with these sort of things so yeah it's true some of the most classic characters have been that way um but yeah that's interesting i was just looking at the soulbound contents um i know in the storyteller system they had the concept of merits and flaws which would be like you take some kind of quote-unquote flaw and then that would give you more points to put elsewhere in your character um but it would be it would make certain things impossible for you. Um, now in Vampire, like uh, some of the flaws were automatic. Like the Nosferatu clan are visibly like disfigured, mm-hmm. so it makes a lot of like the um, a lot of those social interactions difficult or changes them. So like I'm trying to think, does Soulbound have anything like that? They don't really have flaws per se. Like yeah. Um... There, I mean, like, um, it's even 2020, man. what's that? It's 2020, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, it's a different, um, it, the tone of, of, of Soulbound is very much the, uh, like, king, like, like, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's Justice League. It's, it's Avengers. Like, it's, you're, it's very heroic in scope. Um, so, mm-hmm. like, they don't really bake flaws into the the features of the the mechanics of the game but i do encourage you to to think of flaws as character features and not mechanical things anyway which is what i don't like yeah. about vtm because you always find like um 
in older editions of VTM, I'm just starting to like scratch the surface of five right now as I world build and stuff. But in older, in, in, in revised, for instance, you would just take the same four or five flaws that weren't really flaws. They just made you cooler. So yeah. that you had more character Blasted. creation points. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You're like, oh no, like, um, I don't have a reflection. Oh, so <laughs> like, I'm a vampire. Like, <laughs> like you just like do stuff like that where where you yeah. just so you get more and i actually advise against mechanical flaws giving you a merit i think character flaws uh is where it's at character flaws are quirks you know it doesn't have to be a flaw it can just it can be something simple if you don't want to play a tragic hero don't give yourself a tragic quirk give yourself something funny you know like eat mm -hmm. goku eats all the damn time right like this is this is a quirk of, of of Goku's character. Anime is a pretty good resource for like what character quirks look like taken to eleven. So like Goku, yeah, all that's true. Yeah, like taken to eleven. Yeah, yeah, just just they're always really exaggerated. So you have some stuff like that. Um, so so yeah, like you, you don't. I I my brain jumps to some of the like kind of more negative quirks, I guess, from time to time. But they can be positive and weird quirks too. The reading and the eating, mm -hmm. those things like that. Um, uh, yep. But like I mean, a, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Terminal illness, like that's a great quirk to start with. Like that informs so much about your character's incentives. Mm -hmm. Are they risk averse? Are they trying to live the best of their final days? Mm -hmm. What is it like? What? How is that character handling that? Um, you know, that's an example of a role defining, like right out of the box. Like, hey, you have this super interesting thing that's going on. Yeah, I, I had a character whose whose quirk was essentially. Uh, he was looking for his arch nemesis. Like, he didn't have one. He was just always <laughs> looking for his arch nemesis. So he went into everything, like, like looking for the big bad or this, like, the... So what ended up happening is I had this, like, super over-the-top, really daring character. Um, but, like, he would, like... Like, and it's, you know, when you, when you take that character and you put him in a, in a party with people who are, like leaning like sort of selfish and kind of evil you just have this like this interesting chemistry with the party where like they just want to get paid and he's just looking to go fight the biggest guy in the room or like <laughs> and, and yeah you build an interesting party dynamic that way um yeah until and, he finds a love interest he's like is the i just want to die in battle <laughs> you're like wait what well, but then now you've now as a GM you've created conflict for him. Like he finds out that his greatest arch nemesis is the woman of his dreams, and so like now he has conflict. Like look there you at go. look at that. Like you know, like you you build up to that reveal a few sessions down the line, or you know, a few months down the line, and boom, you have this golden story arc. Like you know, yeah. So. That one, yeah. Go ahead. I don't even want to tackle having a love interest. How to make that easy when you're trying to have a romance scene with your your buddy who is running the, the show for you? If you don't have any kind of like, um, if you don't have a background of role playing together, it's hard to go. Yeah, this person's your love interest. <laughs> I I mean that's <laughs> what the uh, that. that's what I use the I use the the veil a lot for. So like uh, I'll like the screen fades to black for like super romantic moments. Um, you know you can describe well like you can step out of like for, you you step you can step out of first person and move into third person. I mean it's really the comfort of what your players your player comfort levels are and you as a GM as well because remember you're a player too. This it comes mm -hmm. from from expectation and session zero. <laughs> so do you have any so like you you kind of mentioned. Um, 
you know, talking about, like, coming over from Wargaming, coming and playing, you know, the person who just wants to, like, hit loot pinatas watching them explode into gold coins, and somebody who really wants to, like, uh, save the noble, and the person who's really invested in the story, and always asks about history of something. You're like, I, I haven't thought of any history for this, like, this tavern. But you said Ugh. the name, and there's the, the player who just wants to know everything about your world, and you're like, dude, I have, like, two sentences in a notebook about this entire town. <laughs> and like, yeah, but you just said this interesting th thing, so, like, you know, what's the mining like? And then, like, you have to make everything up on the fly. Don't be afraid of stuff like that, by the way. But you have these players all with different desires from the game. Part of what can help y'all, everybody, um, is no. is setting expectations. And we GMs tend to do this through something called Session Zero. Do you have, like, uh, a good riff uh, on what Session Zero is and some things to go into Session Zero with and, and what, um, you, what well, you're trying to do with it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm actually more familiar with it in Turn Zero, uh, terms of Turn Zero for Age of Sigmar, where you basically agree on the kind of game you're having. Um, it, you, you say, are we taking this super serious? Like, I'm going to use all of the rules of this game and attempt to defeat you and, you know, give you as much of a challenge as possible. Or is it a, we're going to put miniatures on the table and roll this dice, and I'm going to try to finish this game before I get drunk. Like, that's going to be, like, you know, you have to basically decide the kind of game you're having. So in, I guess in, in turn zero or in session zero, you're doing things like making characters, you're deciding on your origins, you're working out maybe short role-play one-to-one uh, scenarios with your players about, um, you know, maybe they had some kind of conflict or they had some kind of, um, they were fired from a job or something, and you want to actually see what that conversation looked like, so you might role-play with them a little bit about that that moment in their life, that defining moment. Mm -hmm. And that it, the, the aim of it, I think, is to help inform the players about what their motivations are as characters in their next step. For the next the following sessions now maybe i'm over defining session zero for you here you want to jump in no no i like that you you mentioned the turn zero to aos because this is one of those great bridge moments like establishing what everybody wants out of the game and you know like if i if i as a gm want to run the political intrigue game right and uh, mm -hmm. to political intrigue i'd never do it but say hypothetically speaking i want to run the political intrigue game um I need a party of players who want to play a political intrigue game. The person who's obsessed with the history of the town and, like, why it's got a mining background when it's located in this geographical setting, you know, versus the one who wants to rescue the noble. Okay, I might have the one who wants to rescue the noble, um, and the one who wants to hit people, with, uh, hit people and watch them explode into loot probably is going to be engaged in that game, right? Yeah. So you need to, I mean, even as a, as a GM, whatever type of game you intend to run, you want to like make sure that you got people on board for that type of game. Um, now, I as a GM tend to be a lot flexible. Like, I ask my players what type of game they're interested in. Like, is this the type of game where you want to solve every problem with violence? Cool. Like, I will every problem solved with violence. So, like, now you have the political intrigue campaign where they really can just walk up and punch Littlefinger in the mouth. Like, you know, yeah. like and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. like solve all the problems. Like, what I if think it's entirely possible to play an RPG like a war game. Um, where you just have models on a table and you're just crushing numbers. Like, that's... The mechanics suit it. It's fine. It fits. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I think there's um a little bit of, a, like, this, this fear of pretension when it comes to RPG. That might be a barrier for when you're a wargamer versus 
an RPGer. And like you said, like the pool of people who are, play RPGs is much bigger than wargaming. Wargaming is, is a much more niche market. We all all the numbers mm-hmm. in the world suggest that. Um, so you know, my that's where like my aim is. Like I know that I've played RPGs for a very very long time. I never want to like ever squelch someone's interest wanting to come into RPGs from war games because I know like they're kind of in that niche thing. The last thing they need is someone telling them like, "No, you can't ha- come have fun." Like I just I don't like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Try to stick on the end of the pro- profile of you know someone's fun is not wrong and try to give them enough attention. Right. That's really the uh, the aim. I mean, it takes some humility to, to step down off of a horse and say, "Well." Okay, maybe this person who just wants to crush monsters is not going to ruin my improv drama for the night, and you know, get into it. Yeah, yeah, and and if you have like the you have that one improv drama session, you can like okay, that player might check out that night, but like tomorrow night, you're just like okay, like improv drama, and the improv drama sets up like going and assassinating the dude right and so now that guy who just wants to punch face is like oh yeah like now they're interested you can reward that too like in in mm-hmm. you know session to session so i guess how do you you you've mentioned this a few times now is like giving players sort of their due attention and and being sure to like sort of divide your attention between your players um i mean that's just a real general tip this doesn't necessarily go to like the bridge building thing but this is just a really good tip to have for gms do you have any good tricks that you have or anything you can um, expand on that yeah, I've got a two-minute sand hourglass that I use. I'm like, okay, we're going to do this person's thing. I'll start the clock. And that gives me a good visual indicator. Like, I need to wrap this up now. And then I switch over to the other person. I'm, I do that only because uh, as I've gotten older, I have to be way more respectful of people's time. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not organized and I'm not um, trying my best to uh you know, make sure that we're focused on the right thing, then I'm I'm doing a bit of a disservice for the people who canceled important stuff to be there, mm-hmm. you know, or who are working really hard to be there. Yeah. Um, that reminds me real quick of another tip, um, which is essentially set your, your game up into chapters. Um, I like to plan my RPG sessions so that they are, I'll say, we're doing six sessions. You're only on the hook for six sessions. We're going to wrap up the story at the end of the sixth session. And if you want to keep going, we'll keep going. Um, and we'll do another six or another five or whatever, or four. If you're doing it weekly, just do one month groups or whatever. Mm-hmm. It gives people a chance to drop in and out. It gives um, a lot more forgiveness for your campaign not suffering or the people who, you know, someone does drop out and everyone else wants to know how the story ends. Um, you know, you got to be able to, to fit that in. And when you're working with people who are busy, um, the time blocks are less forgiving for RPGs than they are for war games. Um, you need, you do need people's commitment for a period of time. So, um, just kind of keeping it respectful. I, I keep a an hourglass timer. That's that's yeah. basically the gimmick. Yeah, that's the gimmick. I there's you can you're you're gonna find a technique as a GM and as players that that work for you. And as you build your rapport with your group, um, just like um, with streaming, I've built up a mental cue that like I have to look around um you you can watch me while I stream uh those of you in pure audio you miss this you'll see how I'm uh, like I keep my attention focused on the camera for the most part but then I constantly like kind of check back with chat because I've programmed an internal clock to do that I'm terrible at dividing my attention so I have to at the table with players do something similar just get in the habit of looking at each player's face especially when one player is like talking you like 
okay, I'm giving you the attention, you've got the scene, but then just checking in with each other player's face, just reading their expressions and seeing like what, what the vibe is in the room, what they're, what they're giving you. If the player, if one player's like on this RP tirade and everybody's laughing, you know, you can let that energy go a little bit longer. You don't necessarily need to cut it off. Did we lose you? I think we lost you. Um, so, like, that, building yourself some sort of trick or mental cue, I think, is a, a pretty important uh, pretty important step. He seems to have disconnected, so I'll keep going here. Um, I think that's a pretty important step for for being a, a good GM. I know when I was even younger, I used to use what was called the clothespin technique. But, I mean, that's very overt. You'd put the clothespin actually up on your GM screen with the player's name on it, whose turn it was, like, that you were giving attention to, and you'd, you'd put up a clothespin and go around the table like that. Um, but, like, that overt technique became an internal mechanic that I, I developed then, and from there, it didn't need to be the hard line. It could be it could be a lot more fluid. But you, you want to give yourself a technique or something to build off of. That's going to help you. You can learn to improv by teaching yourself, essentially, shortcuts. We do this in Age of Sigmar. You know, your AOS reminder sheet gives you a lot of great reminders, but, like, eventually you get to a point where you're not checking your reminder sheet every single turn, every single action. You just go back to it when you need it because you've built in those mental cues. Improv is a lot of the same way. Uh, I, I I like to write down 20, 20 NPC names in my notebook uh, every adventure, or realistically I go back to the same page I wrote several adventures ago. But usually uh, every so many sessions I, I refresh a list of about 20 names. So that if someone meets a character that... I describe someone at the bar with an eye patch. And for whatever reason, it, for me it was a throwaway descriptor. But for the players, they're like, oh, eye patch dude at the bar. I really must talk to eye patch dude. I'm like, I didn't have a name for eye patch dude. Like, now I need to... Like, oh, I just look over here. Like, oh, his name is, like, Leovard. Because I just happen to have the... You know, I have this list here. So you can teach yourself some, like, techniques that help you improv. And that's, you know... That goes to, like, reading people's faces, just teaching yourself those intervals to check in with your players. I think that's very important. Um, and it's gonna hey, be can you hear me? My Discord Yeah, no, I, I hear you now. I hear you now. Can you hear okay. me? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah. I saw you cut out, so I just had to keep the thought going. <laughs> like, he'll <laughs> so be back. He knows, he knows how this goes. He, he's, he's, uh, he knows, he's a professional. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't... And that's the thing. is like, you don't really want to, like, confine yourself to to that pure rhythmic thing, but you do need to give yourself some tricks um, that help you. And the idea is that, like, as you build up your tricks as a GM, as you build up your tricks as players, you can start, they all just kind of become a, another tool in your toolbox that you go to when you need it. And when you get really, really good, you only need one tool, and you can solve all the problems. Yep. Um. <laughs> you know, it's funny, um, I learned this tool a while ago called Imagination Box. I wanted to share it. It's a... Um, it's a really healthy tool for a mental acuity in general, uh, but it's good for GMs. Um, and it's a bit of a dumb exercise, but uh, here are the steps. Just It's yep. called imagination box. The idea is you pretend you have a box in front of you. And you can do this like whenever, like just in the car or whatever. And you think of a topic, and then you reach into the box, and you pull something out, and you describe it that's related to the topic. And then you toss that thing over your shoulder. You like toss it. And you reach in the box and get another one. And you look at it and you say what it is and then you toss it. So if I say beach, you might go sand, toss, beach ball, toss, 
ocean, toss, waves, lifeguard, etc. You keep going through things that remind you, and eventually you run out. You run out of things that, like, okay, I've said everything I can think of. Some people are really good at just going and going at this. Some people need more structure. And the more you do this exercise of imagination box, the better you get at it. And so if you do something like medieval village and you start to pull stuff out and look at it, like, okay, there's a blacksmith, there's the alchemist, there's, you know, these are shops that you would see, but like, are the streets dirty? You know, uh, so you might think, you know, like- My my first thing went to, to hay and cobblestone. Is like the hey, first, yeah. Those are like my first two. As you're doing this, I'm like, I'm like, hey, cobblestone. Yeah. Like I went to like the visuals, and then you immediately started populating with people, which I find just fascinating. How our brains went in two different directions, right there. Two different directions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really good stuff. Like, um, yeah. um, your players are going to do the same thing. So when you say you enter the village and the gates have opened up, and you know, a chicken clucks out of the way, and you see people milling around. Everybody's got a different picture of what that scene looks like. I described it with pretty good detail, but everyone's got a different vision. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, some people are going to re- uh, imagine the high robed fantasy creatures from Never Ending Story. And other people might envision, you know, the, the dirt, muddy peasants from Life of Brian, right? Like, um, yeah. It, it's, um, it, you know, who knows? <laughs> well, I mean, um, the, go, go ahead, finish your point. Oh, I was just going to wrap it up with basically what's going to sharpen you and help you answer questions when your players are interrogating your scene. It's it's going to um, is is that information is is your imagination. You're quick. I can think of things that are happening right here, right now. And even if you can't answer the questions, give the players something distracting they can think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I I'm a very firm believer of like painting the scene usually in broad strokes. Um, if I, if I set the scene like early on in an adventure, I'll go very literal and specific with the details. But as the, as the adventure progresses on my strokes get like broader, unless I want, I need the players to focus on a detail because usually it's like you said, like some, you know, if I say like, it's a, you know, a a dirty peasant walks up to you. Like, I don't need to describe like his bulbous nose and his, his bald head and like all these features because like, I just say dirty peasant and your brain it can you're like you're gonna see like the kid on like you see the kids running screaming up in Robin Hood men in tights you know like you yeah. see uh you know you see like the life of you you see the uh you know uh, Monty Python like muck peasants you know just like stacking filth like you know everyone's brain is gonna like insert something else and like allowing the players to have that like sort of agency over a lot of their own thoughts can be a lot of fun because yeah. each one of their scenes this is the I mean this is the nature of why books tend to be quote-unquote better than the movies uh, there's several reasons but one of them being is that like your imagination is so often unlimited by the confines of actors and space and time and all these things that movies essentially rob you of your brain children like you have these like all these flights of of, of, of fancy when you are imagining things and even if it is just like a picture roll of other movies and other things that you've already consumed, you know, it's not a bad thing if I if I start describing a character and you see, you know, Jack Nicholson, right? In yeah. fact, if the whole party is like, oh, I totally, oh, like, yeah, so it's like Jack Nicholson except in Arbor. And then you, the GM, like, now you pick up on that and, like, now you start, like, maybe going into a little bit of a Jack Nicholson persona and hamming it up for them. Yeah. That just makes that, it better. That's such an easy shortcut. It's good. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, so so it's you you start picking up on those vibes by letting 
giving your players some sort of broad strokes and then picking up on the details they're picking up on and then just leaning into them, you can really enrich the world and the, and the game. <laughs> Jack Nicholson, but in armor. Yeah, so he's hitting on the waitress. He's kind of, like, got a little <laughs> bit of sleaziness to him. Like, he's all, just, like, suddenly he's just, like, you described him at the beginning of the scene holding a sword, and then just, like, midway through the scene, he's actually holding, like, a whiskey tumbler, and you're just like, where'd the sword go? Oh, no, he still got the sword. And so, like, <laughs> you know, like, it's just, like, where's he keeping the whiskey tumbler? And you just never address it. Like, things like that can really enhance your game. Depending on the tone you're going for, you can, you, I, my yeah. brain goes silly, but your brain might go dark or to horror or you can do this with with oh. horror and comedy you can do this yeah. with, with any tone you know really the difference between you know comedy and horror and drama is really what you're focusing on which detail right. you're picking out where you're set i always say where you're setting the camera you know if you set the camera on people's reaction shots close in versus far further out like you see someone start to run versus you see their face you know well up with tears that's going to set two different tones same mm -hmm. same thing. Where do you set the camera? Um, if someone runs, it could be comedic. You know, you just they run away suddenly. If you just talk about them tearing, well, their face welling up with tears. Now you're getting more on the the tragedy, or or could be a horror axiom, depending on what what the inciting event was. So mm -hmm. these are. I mean, this is just. I guess we're gming one hundred and one now. <laughs> like, I don't mean to do that. Yeah, I we we yeah, I quickly went across the. Here's how you can get started as a war gamer going into it, and I, it's because the paint, the picture I painted is very simple. You just set a couple of miniatures out on a table, and that answers all the questions about describing the scene. Um, you can use paper cutouts as block-ins for your terrain. It's not that important as long as people understand what's going on. Their imagination will start to fill in the details. That's true. Um, and and that's the thing that that I think I'm I'm getting to here is that it's um, Soulbound definitely. It, it definitely affords players to get in and just crunch numbers if that's what they want to do. It allows you to do that. Um, it, it is so much more if you if you go deeper into the interactions between the players and their characters' motivations. Um, but yeah, I got to warm up to that. Um, I'm really looking forward to that uh, when I start playing with Brent and Jack. Both of them are have never done RPGs before. I think Jack might have when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, Brent is hasn't even done improv. Uh, or anything like that. So it's a, uh, you know, I've got a, an improv background. Jack's got a stand up comedy background. And so that's like, it's it not going to be too hard for us to make stuff up on the fly. It will be hard for us to make stuff up on the fly that isn't funny. Mm. Like that, that's another thing that, that kind of jumps out a lot is improv. Just because of the awkwardness, awkwardness of it is funny. Um, and it's hard to get away from that uh, if you're trying to have a deep or dramatic moment. Yeah, I mean, you yep. you with with drama. I've personally found you got to pick your sh you got to pick your moments. Um, yeah, because I I my brain very much goes towards the like ridiculous axiom. I always joke that my my stories tend to jump the shark early, and if they don't, I have no idea what I'm doing with myself. Like they're not mm -hmm. already in space. I didn't blow up the moon yet. What the heck am I doing? Like, um, yeah. It, but like you know, every now and then you find like a character that like the party just like loves for whatever reason, and like they end up like you know like they just like died in the natural course of combat and you're like i didn't think they cared about that character but now they're all like really kind of broken up about it well now what are you going to do you're going to go into that scene a little bit longer you're going to describe it a little bit more in depth you're going to let them be in that emotion for a little bit longer um so it's it, i mean that that's just part of the improv thing is is you know uh this is stand-up comedy too is you know if you've got a joke that's like crushing whatever energy you're on in that joke 
at that moment that it's like it's crushing that everyone's laughing you stay in that energy so if you're angry yeah. and you have an angry facial expression and everyone's like laughing at the bit you keep the angry facial expression through the the bit um same thing with 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 D and 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 rpgs yeah that's a good, that's a good trait. Let pain sting when you lose a character. NPCs that a party come to love are gems. It's true. Like I mean, if they if they if they the party just for whatever reason like they, this could be like a, a AOS. Like someone loves that their their model, right? That you just happen to grab as like the random NPC quest giver in the tavern, and like they catch the stray arrow. There for whatever reason, because they have that real attachment to that model, and then suddenly like the the character it was representing in the scene like it just gets got like. You can use that. You don't have to always yeah. do that, by the way. Like, it, you don't need to just grind your players' emotions into a pulp. But that comes back mm -hmm. to expectations and what type of game everybody wants. I I posit okay. that that you need to have like hit a spectrum of emotions. Uh, you know, find like a, a tone because you want some tonal consistency. But then from there, allow yourself to go out and, and diverge a little bit and hit some and hit some emotional highs and lows. And yeah, and it should be okay to be funny. Yeah, yeah. Um. Humor's probably easier when it comes to, to RPGs, honestly, because you feel a little bit ridiculous, especially early on. Drama's probably a lot harder to sell as, like, a new player, I would think. But yeah. that, that just... My brain wiring. So I, I think we've we built a pretty solid bridge here from, from Wargame to RPG. Any last last thoughts before we kind of move on to... Uh, I think I've got you for about another half hour here. Before we move on to more of the design aspect of like, okay, now you've got players ready to play your game. You've built the bridge. You've brought them over. What are some tips to quit build, build a campaign? Any, any last um, bridge moments? No, I, I don't really, I, I feel like we beat the tar out of this yeah, one. Yeah. We, 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 because, yeah. We crushed you know, we it. We have this experience. Yeah. 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 We crushed it and we managed on some GM one oh one tangents. So, yeah. So, so actually, like, okay, you've got your players, you've got your spectrum, you know, you got Brent on board, uh, you know, and Jack. They haven't played in a long time. Now you got to go and build your campaign. Do hmm. you? I have to. I have to. I wonder. Are you a GM who builds a campaign for the players, or do you build your story and include your players in it? How do you approach it? Um, sorry, my I like to have an outline, and that way, when the players are, are, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Sorry. Okay. Um, I'd like to have an outline, and when my players add the destruction that they do, um, I, I'm able to adjust for it, because I know where the story is going, and I know it's important for me. Mm -hmm. um, I have to also be able to retreat and change something if I find something that's just too juicy to let go. Um, I might have a story that's a murder mystery, for example, but if one of my characters has a chance to reunite with and finally face off against their abusive parent, I might go, okay, we're going to spend two sessions on this. And that might be the last two we have for the chapter. Um, I think that is going to be more of a payoff for the players. Uh, or if I think something will be more of a payoff for the players, I'll, I'll divert. Um, so that that's my style anyways. Um, I like to kind of have the hero's journey mapped out. I start with, um, you know who the heroes are, that's the answer by my players. Their allies, their enemies, where we're going, the spaces they'll be in, what concepts they have. I have a list. Um, I have a mood board. I put that together. You have a um, mood board? Yeah, I do. A uh, mood board is uh, something that I discovered in video game development uh, where um, somebody said, oh, we're going to make a video game. 
and immediately it, it is going to be let's let's just say out of the pull something out of the ether here we're going to make a zombie survival video game okay. so immediately people think all the other zombie survival yep. games some persons some person's thinking left for dead some person's thinking um last of us and the person who gave the idea might be thinking of daisy or so, Resident Evil come immediately. My yeah. Resident Evil. Like, yeah, Resident. Yeah, like Resident Evil. So the idea is that you want to be able to take as many things that are similar to what your initial concept is, and throw some visual and maybe even some audio cues together, maybe some um, references to like video um, or movies to go check out. Yes. Um, so Im- like, I'll put together a mood board that has like pictures and audio and video that people can go check out. And I say, this is basically what your world is going to look like. I love this. Um, See, I, I yeah. do, I do similar. I didn't know it had a technical term. I do some similar, similar strategies. Um, when I'm writing a specific NPC, say I'm like writing a villain or a support character or something like that, I'll listen to specific types of music whilst I'm writing them. And uh, mm-hmm. I do a lot of like pre-writing that will never be in my games. Uh, and sometimes I write like I have a, like an NPC who's just got like a single sentence blurb underneath their name just one phrase it might be like a winston churchill quote or something like that but then mm-hmm. or it it'll be a quote from that character's perspective like i don't see problems i just see punching bags right like i know what that character <laughs> i know how that character is going to act in every scene from that cue i give myself but if i'm writing something yeah. more in depth i want i want i want to build like out like a, a really something richer or deeper I'll like immerse myself. I'll listen to a bunch of Johnny Cash for this villain, right? Like I'm just all I'm listening to right now is yeah. Johnny Cash. Um, but like I love what you're saying about like movies. Um, tell like if you're, I think this goes both ways, players and GMs. GM, if you're, I, I, one of the big questions I hear from GMs is usually like, you know, I'm out of inspiration, or how do you get inspiration? Well, you got to fill up on inspiration. Like I don't know where to go with my story. Well, you got to fill up on inspiration. Um, yeah. you know, like you got to go out and like, if you're telling a, a space Western, uh, I'm going to go watch Firefly and I'm going to go watch Cowboy Bebop and I'm going to go watch Outlaw Star and I'm going to listen to Johnny Cash and, and then I'm going to like throw in some like a gun, sh- uh, a gunship in there for the techno aspect. Like you, you got to immerse yourself in those things and refill on inspiration. Yeah, but I like the mood board. That's a little bit of a separate <clears throat> point, but I think it's important to immerse yourself in media when you're trying to build a story or a campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I, I like to do also is I establish it. There's a difference between a narrator and a, a character that I'm representing as a GM. So um, I actually have, I employ hand signals. This is a, a, a call back to the old old vampire days. But basically, I, I'm holding a hand up if I'm out of character. Uh, or I'll put it up. You can't see right now. I'm, I've got my hand on my head. <laughs> yeah. You're obfuscated. Yeah. Um, hand on the head. I'm out of the scene. <laughs> Yeah, out of the scene, there you go. Yep, I started. It's it's hard because there could be three people in the room that you can't actually, you know, physically get up necessarily, or you're you're on video call, right, because of the the global pandemic right now. So you can't like get up and leave the scene, but your character is eavesdropping, but it's hard for them to ignore you unless you give them some kind of visual indicator that you're not visible to them. Mm -hmm. And so that's a really good way of doing it to say like I'm not visible to you. I'm, I'm, you know, you obscure your face a little bit. Um, or I can't talk to you, but I'm, I can hear you. Like mm-hmm. that's another, like using hand signals, I think is a good quick way to communicate to your, to your uh, party or to your players, what's going on. Um, and the narrator, I think is, 
especially important. So um, if you'd indulge me just for a second, um, I'd like to share a little story here. Okay. Okay. Uh, I was pulling inspiration from this movie, this uh, Guillermo del Toro movie called uh, Devil's Backbone. Backbone. And in this story, there's this antagonist and protagonist. Um, and in the story, there's a third character, which is a bomb, a 500-pound bomb that fell in this schoolyard. Uh, this this movie takes place in an orphanage. And a 500-pound bomb fell and did not detonate. It's just stuck in the ground like a hot water heater. And they say that the soldiers came out and diffused it. But children go up to the bomb. But it's too heavy to move. So they like go up to the bomb and they listen. And they swear they can hear it ticking and other stuff. right? They can hear machinations inside hmm. so the bomb became a character that's like this presence through the whole film hmm. and it's just like there hmm. and creating this weird the whole world could blow up any minute tension hmm. and i borrowed that concept and i made a mage game um where the character's uh mentor their their teacher had been murdered so it's a murder mystery um but at the same time it happens to take place during a blizzard where a shipwreck took out the only bridge out of town. So uh, there's this shipwreck, which is interesting, that that can be investigated or whatever, but um, when people get near the ship, uh, the blizzard roars up and people can't really get close. So like, not even like the town police officers or, or firemen can get close because of this weird blizzard that's happening. So it's, again, it's kind of like this presence that's, um, in this case, it's a, a really bad version of the bomb where it's a weird thing, there's no threat to the players, but it's it becomes you know an identity or part of the story. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Twister does this actually. Jaws does this. Like uh, monster movies are great for having like a presence that is a character, even mm-hmm. if it's not a speaking presence or even a, like a a, a a thoughtful presence, right? Like the, there's yeah. no like uh, Twister. I I love Twister because they. Every they basically give all the tornadoes like characterizations and archetypes and like they they go into yeah. like the whole mythos of like tornadoes. I'm like, if you just take the tornadoes out and make them aliens, that's an like an even sweeter movie. Yeah, like, you, like you know, like it's suddenly an alien, like 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 I know Twister is kind of like a hokey bad movie, but you you get inspiration, drawing inspiration from stuff, changing <clears> a couple <throat> dials reskinning some things never be afraid of that there's an expression steal yep. like an artist or what is a good artist borrow great artist steal like yeah there's no shame i i go a step further and i don't think any knowledge is is intrinsically yours that it's all just mm-hmm. borrowed we're all influenced by you know media whether we we read the same stories or we looked at the like clouds and we know what real clouds look like and then i just happen to be reading uh, Jaws at that time, and I'm like, well, what if I make Twister, right? Like, I've I've just borrowed two knowledge, two bits of knowledge that are are truly out there. The the theft of that going all in, that's that's the being confident in it. Be confident in your story. If you're like, I'm just telling you guys Jaws, except instead of a shark, it's a bomb, or instead of a shark, it's a it's a freaking demon, yo. Like, whatever you're taking yeah. your inspiration, however you're shifting that stuff. Do it confidently. I mean, that's... Yeah, so, nobody knows you're making it up. Nobody knows. For all they know, that you wrote everything down and it's you have a plan. Yeah. Um, and uh, let them think that. Let them think that. Seriously, let them think that. Let them think you're smarter than what you are when you're building a camp, your campaign. 
You know, yeah. some of the best games I've run have just been, they started with a bar fight and I had little more than that. And then from there, I was just yes to ending my players. And they're just like, that was like one of the best stories you've ever told. I'm like, like, no, it's one of the best stories you ever told. Like, I just, like, that one got away from me early, but because I was, I was, I, I read the energy correctly and, and so on and so forth. But back to this campaign building, you, mood board, I really like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, mood boards, I think, are super important um, because it helps people get like an instant visual understanding of what you're aiming at. Um, and I like to have music playing at the same time. I, there's lots of soundboards out there online for you to queue up, um, you know, RPG music that's appropriate for your for your setting. I think there's even soundboards that like do um, like synthwave music for people running Shadowrun. Like yeah. it's that. Deep. Yeah, Neo, right, you want to be listening music. to Neo Tokyo and stuff like yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but if you don't, even if you don't have that, like, collect the music into a Spotify playlist and just hop around. So you have it. Music's not going to affect everybody, and certainly not going to affect everybody in the same way. But it it is a cheap way of getting a mood across. Um, and what I mean by cheap is like it's in, it's inexpensive for everybody's time. You know, yeah, you put on a metal song. Or you know what this is about. Whatever. <laughs> you know what this is about. You know what this scene yep. is. Um, yep. I mean, think about Final Fantasy without without Uematsu, right? Like the the iconic Final Fantasies without their composer. Like those games don't hit the same notes. Uh, double entendre there. They don't hit the same you know resonance with with their viewership or their their people who are playing those games. Um, no, I, I love that. Um, don't be afraid to use media and don't be, be afraid to quote unquote borrow and or steal ideas. Um, reskin them, make them yours. Um, your players, yeah. they might know, but then you just, you just reward their cleverness. Like, ah, yeah, you like, you are a clever player. You figured it out. Right. Um, and then from there, this ties into a little bit tangential, but I think it's important that you're taking notes as you're, you're noticing what, what beats and moods and film that they're picking up on. If they reference something that you haven't seen, maybe go take yep. a look at it. That's, like. that's, yeah. Recognizing them and praising them for that stuff is really good too. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I have young, young kids and I have a, an 11 year old, a seven year old and a four year old playing D and D at the same time. Uh, we have them play as goblins. So when they say, I want to smash all the windows in the room, they're still in character. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, uh, and as goblins, I often have the 11 year old trying to convince his little brothers that who are just lesser goblins <laughs> He's trying to convince them of some kind of plan. And oftentimes they just go with the flow or they agree or whatever. And it, everything falls apart because they're kids and that's okay because they're goblins and that's also okay. Um, but the idea is that at one point my 11 year old said, I'm just going to stuff all these weapons in a closet and nobody will find them. And I said, don't you think that's a little obvious? And he said, Dude, I'm a goblin. I'm like, you're getting extra experience tonight. <laughs> <laughs> there was um, there's a Paizo module called Weeby Goblins. That yeah. was that was fantastic. You're playing like CR one eighth goblins trying to solve like a a hero's journey. Uh, that was the, I don't run modules often, but that one was like everyone's got to play this module because it's, it's that like it it just strikes. I think everyone's got in a sense when you're gaming. We all have that like inner like seven or ten year old right war gamers rpg Mm -hmm. gamers even video gamers like if you're a gamer in some capacity there's some direct line between your sensory perception and that that inner child 
And yeah. the things that just get you there or, or strike that chord, like you got to relish and embrace that a little bit. So It's true. It's true. And speaking of embracing the inner child, um, do you think that a destruction module is coming up for Soulbound? They got to do that, right? They got to let you play orcs. I, I mean, they, I, I think there are very few fan bases as as adamant as orc players. Right. Uh, like, I, I've said... There, there are two players I give this description to now because I got woke to the other, to the other, the other one. I think there are two, the two most fanatic fan bases in all of Age of Sigmar, are orc players and Seraphon players. Um, I, they're the oh, two yeah. most fanatic. Um, and Seraphon players are the only old hammer people that didn't just quit. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. And orc <laughs> players are orc players are orc players. Like if you yeah. were playing World of Warcraft. Or Pathfinder, or Dungeons and Dragons, and you had a half orc barbarian, and you could go into any game anywhere. You're like you know if you want to play orcs or not. You just like sure. I don't have to sell you on orcs. <laughs> like you like you know what orcs. And and I I find it it's one of those for me it's a little bit of a a little bit of a paradox because orcs are very flavored to their setting. Like orcs in in um, Dragon Age, for instance. The, I'm sorry, d- Dark Spawn or whatever the heck, like totally unique idea. These aren't orcs. Don't steal. Um, versus like a Warhammer orc versus a Warcraft orc. Even Warcraft orcs almost read like Ronin, you know, like pride, yeah. ancient, a little bit of like an ain- like masterless samurai, right? Like they 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 have that read. Um, fa- they're they they've kind of job with you know making it a departure from Tolkien and from Games Workshop when yeah. they made their orcs when they developed them into what they are now right um i really like that actually making them you know honor bound and obsessed with honor yeah well, and they're, um, they're they're a disgraced race to an extent cuz Gul'dan was you know kind of a kind of a son of a bitch um right and and so they, they... <laughs> right um but yeah no they they did a i think they did a, like a really good job there but if you played orcs in in Warcraft and you're playing Warhammer, chances are you're on board with playing you're Orcs in Warhammer too, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that I think Soulbound Orcs or Destruction is inevitable. Uh, I also do think that their species rules give you a lot of agency to like make some of that stuff yourself. Um, yeah, Soulbinding is really cool, but they 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 outline in their sort of alternate rule section like you don't have to run a Soulbound campaign, which I think is just it's just a good tool to give give GMs. I I think. Okay, yeah, you're an you're a veteran GM. Awesome. You know exactly the limits of how much you can freestyle, how much you can homebrew, how much you can change, and how much you can throw you can throw out. And by the way, I'm going to give you all a secret right now, GMs. Speaking of campaign design, you can change anything that doesn't work for you or your game or your players. Don't be afraid of that. There's for some reason we have this like adherence to to the letter of the rule. Now that being said, the point I was trying to make is when you do give the thing rules to tell them here's a rule on changing the rule you empower everybody by having yeah. a rule for it. And I think that's very important. So, so Soulbound's really cool, really good about that. Where like, you don't have to play a Soulbound game and here are the species rules for making your own species. So right now mm-hmm. you could be running an orc through those rules, but having them down the line is just inevitable, I think. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to all the, all the, for the four alignments to come out. Uh, I mean, I, that just, it seems like the next obvious step of evolution yeah, this is the DA order book. Yeah, right? I see. I I want to see 
I mean, because conceivably you would like maybe go Gur with destruction and you go Shyish and like you might actually shift around which realm you're in. Because I really want that Planescape like vibe where you're just like, you know, powering through all these different planes. I want to see what it's like yeah. to grow up in Nagashazar because they talk about in the fluff how you're like, you grow up, like you're, you live alongside your long dead ancestors in like, in there and like before Nagash sort of started bending all of it to his will, like it's almost like every version of the afterlives are there. The heavens and the hells are in Shyish. So like growing up next to like your, your ancestral, in your ancestral homeland with like your great grandparents still around like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory can be kind of utopian. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All in the same bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all in the same bed. Like, <laughs> you're I gotta out. take it. I'm gonna take this one. The rest of you, rot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so I, I think we're, we're encroaching, uh, encroaching your heart out on the speed run. So, so you got to go rapid fire mode on. Uh, uh, no, actually, I, it's oh? six fifty five my time. I have an hour. Oh, you have an hour yet? Okay, I'm sorry. I was, I, yeah. I, I conflated. Are we good? We're good. Okay, we're good. Whew. I, I overestimated the speed run here. All right. Um, so yeah, more world building. Um, kind of coming off some of these tangents, uh, getting back into like other tips for for building your your GM. You started at the inception, taking notes. Taking notes is very important. Um, I, you're going to have your own style of taking notes. So I don't, I'm afraid I don't have a tip for you, dear GM on how to take your own notes, but do you have any perhaps, or you, you kind of mentioned you take your own notes and then you, nah. Yeah. I just have a garbage notebook nearby. It's full of, um, shorthand that if anybody tried to read it, they would think I was a crazy, crazy person. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, my, my journals look like Da Vinci, my GM, Journals look like Da Vinci's like yeah. journals. Um, it's for me, not for anyone else. Yep, and that's the thing is is um you know I usually start with a three. You mentioned like having a limit six uh, six uh, six adventures or six sessions or whatever it is. Um, yeah, right, I would say write your campaigns with intent. There, you can always play for time later if you you know if you want to, or you can ask people to extend it. But but giving yourself a beginning, middle, end is super important. So this naturally aligns with the three act structure, which naturally aligns with certain writing techniques. Um, so mm -hmm. but like just going like beginning, middle, end, it's that simple. And you can always do right. side quests and world building adventures and player backstory adventures where you revisit the characters like home and. You can always do that stuff. That's the beauty of an RPG. Whereas making a movie that has to be done in an hour thirty, hour thirty minutes, um, doesn't give you a lot of leeway to do a bunch of flashbacks and stuff. Well, in 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 a in an RPG, you can. Although I would hazard against flashbacks, uh, <laughs> everybody for various reasons. You kill the player and their flashback. You got a problem. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. But uh. But yeah, like um, I do three act. I essentially align in three, uh, like a three act structure. Usually, beginning, middle, end, uh, and then I will put the big story beats that I have for myself. I'll go, you know, I want this to happen at the end of Act One. So like, I want a big earthquake to happen at the end of Act One that swallows this city, and that's that's my Act One climax, right? Like, city characters start and get swallowed. Okay, because this is somehow tying into. Oh, I should go even further back. Every campaign has a premise. <laughs> uh, this is writing technique stuff. I don't know how, how this differs for you. Do you go in with like a premise or like a, a story to tell? Like where, where do you start with that? What's your inception? So I, I, go in with the, yeah. I just borrow a trope. I, I say murder mystery or, you know, um, some other kind of, you know, hero journey okay. trope. So you start with the trope or the genre like trope. Okay. So you're essentially like 
grab you're borrowing your premise which is uh, i mean it's, yeah it's it's a lot like the jack nicholson thing we talked about earlier where you know it's it's an easy way to describe what's going on um everybody's in love with their chantry elder and then one day you know they find her body and but the chantry isn't disturbed you know there's all these like oh we have a mystery on our hands now Perfect. um it's obvious to the players what the next call to action is and what the refusal of that call is we talked about that earlier as well like what happens if you don't decide to look like maybe it's an opportunity for you to turn away from the life right right and it's important it's if you can identify your call to action so like we talked about the onion one earlier right like oh troll trolls attack what's the consequence for the player if they don't stop the troll from eating all the onions right you know thinking yeah. about when you're with your call to action if you now mm -hmm. One of two things can happen. You can see an awesome opportunity for an alternate path of campaigning if your call to action has an inverse action that's that's equally as strong. This also, for me, you can do this with villains. When you're mm -hmm. coming up with villain motivations, you want to think about if the villain succeeds, what does that look like, right? Like, And yeah. super important for villains is why are they doing it. Um, but... More on that a little bit later. So with, with players, your call to action, you, you want to... You've said call to action a couple times. Do I, do we need to define it for, for the stream? Do you think they need yeah, to... Let me just throw one out there for you. Um, so uh, this is a scenario where players are... They, they go to a city and uh, they're looking for work, right? And people are like, oh, you look like you might be able to handle this. Um, a tree lord ancient has gone to this forest that's on the other side of this ridge. Um... And he perished there. And we would like you to go and return his soul pod. Go find it and bring it back to us. And so the player's like, cool, straightforward. I understand this is my call to action. If I don't do it, they'll find someone else. No big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, but if the players decide to get invested in that, and they go and look at this thing, this, the call to action is actually not this point. This is an illusion of a call to action. This is just what starts you on the path. The call to action when they get there, when they find find the body of this tree lord ancient, uh, where the tree lord fell, uh, has sprung a clean fountain of water, um, and it has caused this village to spring up around the body of this ancient, and now all the people there are thriving because they have clean water. So if you remove the body of the ancient, then these people will all perish potentially. Mm -hmm. So that is the call to action. Um, you know, it's okay to have plot point one, plot point two, and depending on the characters, you know, I mean, the players, if they roll the Dark Elf, they're not going to care. They'll be like, all right, well, cool. Good luck, everybody. And they're going to cut up the body and, you know, yeah. haul it off where they need to go. Um, but the Stormcast might go, hang on. Like, <laughs> don't. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah, so in my uh, brain, uh, I just heard conflict, conflict. Like, just like, um, stories are about conflict. So, so you've created a, a conflict, uh, there's a party conflict, uh, and then you also have a story mm -hmm. conflict with, do we take this or not? You know, those are good, good decisions are ones that have a conflict. You know, yeah. it's not really a decision if you're, you just do the thing and you never have to think about it, right? Like, there's no right. conflict there. Yeah, um, and in the scenario I talked about earlier about the, you know, the, the Bretonian Knight and the, uh, the um, paladin on foot and the truga. That story is not complicated. It is narrative from a wargaming perspective, mm -hmm. but it is like they need to sort out this thing if they want to get off the bridge. So, okay, let's fight. Yeah. Um, it can be that simple, you know. Yeah. It doesn't have to be plots within plots. You know, Dune level. 
yeah. things like I described. Yeah, plots and then subplots and A plots and B plots and C plots. You don't have to go that complicated. Like I said, you'll find that players give you a will add complications on their own. I think I, I has been my experience as a GM, and uh, you just kind of pick your shots from there, and you'll you'll have these rather robust games. Um, so back to the note. Th this is in writing. This is essentially like you're you're coming up with. Uh, yeah, so so you've got the conflict, and then like they're going to resolve the conflict, and that can just be that could be a whole campaign arc. You know, why did yeah. this? You know, how big you make that in scope is like how many threads it pulls in or pulls on. So, so you yeah. start you start with your call to action. When you start with your call to action, do you look at it adventure to adventure? Do you look for like I've got an adventure arc that's going to encompass all my six sessions? To go back to your six session thing. Yeah, I, I guess the the thing that I like to do is is. I have an arc that I'm trying to devise, and if I find the players aren't biting, I'll come up with a couple of those calls and let them pick the one that they find the most interesting. It's easy to connect the dots at the end to wrap it up and say, oh, it's all part of the master plan, and really no. uh, it wasn't. You just kind of improvised the whole time. Um, yeah. Now that's, that's you're, I'm leaning on my experience to do something like that, but if, if somebody wanted to map out a scenario in which a, you know, a wayward... Uh, noble is reunited with their parents. Um, that can be the the your your end point that you're driving toward. Anything they do, dungeon crawling, uh, chasing after a villain, uh, finding vengeance. These are all things that can be player driven plot points that just kind of come up, and you can always lead them to the end of the story when it's time to wrap it up. Um, because that was really what that was the thing you opened with and that's the thing you're closing with all the other stuff that they have all those other little uh untied um fetters that they're connecting and and creating in the session for themselves that's the candy that keeps them coming back to play more they want to see more of that character develop mm -hmm. maybe they don't maybe they're just tired of that dude um i've had a couple of players make characters that were just too damn powerful and, and nothing was a challenge for them and as a result, they got bored really quickly. Uh, that was a really good learning experience for me where um, I wanted everybody to be, feel awesome. And as a result, they were just like wasting the monsters. Uh, but you know, at some point, they, just, they didn't want to do it anymore. There was no sticks. There's nothing mm -hmm. um, like the writer refusing that call. Nothing was at stake for them. Mm -hmm. So that's where I think the term murder hobo is like the most, uh, the most relevant. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm powerful. Like, what can I kill here? Um, I can't kill anything. Not worth it. At what point is the coin? What is the value of the coin that makes it worth it for me to stop and pick it up? Well, like what? Yeah, yeah. Like the the uh, like the Wall Street tycoon who can't even be bothered to bend over and pick up a hundred dollar bill or their entire wallet if they drop it. Once you get to a certain yep. level of rich, like yeah. Um, mm -hmm. That's why a lot of systems actually RPGs have been moving away from currency entirely. Because it's uh, it's sort of like uh, an antiquated vision of character motivations in some senses. Like we've we've done mm -hmm. coin. Well, what is the limit of coin? You know, around the time I built my third fief, and I'm still not playing the main campaign arc. Like, uh, which is cool. Yeah. If you want to do the resource management, get gold. Uh, you know, set up like your your McDonald's in the campaign, but then you need to have character expectations and player expectations that like, hey, this is what this campaign's going to be. Um, yeah. I will, I'm way more tolerant of that stuff if it's a, as, as we talked about earlier, a character quirk, 
right? <laughs> if it's wimpy and he's needing cheeseburgers all the time, like he will trade you on Wednesday for something he needs now. Like that's, that's interesting. And that's something that should be explored. Yeah. Um, but if it's a character who just wants to like be awesome and, and have all the money in the world, like you can sort that out really quickly and that probably will we'll get bored. Cool. <laughs> cool. Here you go. You have all the money in the world. Now what? Like you just give it to them. Yeah. Like, now all right, cool. Yeah. Now what? <laughs> um, yeah. There, there's, um, I, I also like, I, I always call it rounding up versus rounding down. I tend to round up my players as opposed to round down. That's that yes and is another way of saying it, but it also comes to like their power level. Like I want my characters to be awesome in my games because then the stuff they deal with can be awesome too. Like I'm not interested in telling the story about the peasant who almost dies to a single orc. You know, I want the Kingmaker story where they go out and they fight a legion of the goblins and then that one souped up Bane orc shows up and now they're like, oh crap, like that's the kind of stuff I'm interested in. But, you know... Yeah. Um, so you've got like kind of your premise, your call to action. Where do you go from there? Um, I, I like to have, uh, I mentioned the narrator earlier and the narrator is like a character who, um, I can assume when I'm trying to describe something or explain something, uh, in addition to the narrator, I like to have some kind of mentor, like, um, some kind of Obi-Wan, right? Like, well, this, you, this, you this, is, a monomyth. this is a, this is a monomyth, okay. this is a monomyth tenant. This is a, uh hero's journey tenant is like having the mentor character yeah 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 like i, I like to have somebody there who's gonna just discount the exposition effort that i have to spend you know somebody <laughs> there is gonna look at it like ah actually a disease you have is quite rare you know like i love you with the deckard cane I'm like oh what a rare <laughs> treasure you have there in your in that Roderick cube <laughs> like you got a freaking <laughs> you got me yeah you got nice me. stay a while listen <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna meet the mentor, and the mentor can be sometimes. I mean, you can be as interesting with that as you want. You can make the mentor a monster. You can make uh, and go the uh, Del Toro route, where the monsters aren't monsters. The, the uh, monsters are, actually the hurt. people are the monsters. Yep. Yeah. Um. Or or sometimes the call to action is the mentor, right? Um. The the journey will be the lesson you learn. Um, and it's, it is an abstraction for you to think about as a GM as you're setting up a story arc to go, okay, um, this is going to be really hard for this person who lives in a shire and has never worn a shoe in their life. And they're going to go walk on volcanic rock and throw a ring into a volcano. Uh, that, that's like, you know, it's going to change them. And sometimes the journey might be the mentor. It's just a, a chance for you to like kind of go, okay, in this arc, who's going to be teaching my players the exposition of what's going on because they're not always going to have a uh, narrator to describe what's happening and they're not always going to have insight to what happened behind the scenes with a couple of characters they're not watching right now mm -hmm. so i like having a mentor or some kind of third party who can just uh, do a info vomit and yeah cut, the story cut through the ex yeah i mean they're they're the expository character they're one of the wayans brothers like oh man if you kill right. the dragon you can go get the like you can get the teardrop and save the the plague you gotta have like a yeah <laughs> is that a movie reference what's that was that a reference to the D, &D movie um no because they never made a D, &D movie because if they did it would have been the best thing ever <laughs> what what movie is that reference from uh yeah, I mean, basically, yeah, it's it's the D, it's the D and D movie. Okay. Yeah, uh, come on, no, I, 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 uh, so there's two things. Like, I deny the existence of Mass Effect three and the D and D movie. I haven't. Oh. Like, I just. But the ending for you doesn't that make you feel better? For what? The Mass, Mass Effect? Effect. 
<sighs> okay, so now chat gang, you got to drink because we have a ma another Mass Effect rant. The beginning of Mass Effect Three sucks. Matt, the Shepard sitting doing nothing for six months while the Reaper, uh, Reapers close in is is so implausible. I couldn't even begin to care like to like get into the game like that. And then they went with this like Deus Ex Machina prep from the beginning with a hallucinated a native kid. Like I'm just like I see what you're doing and I don't respect it. Now, if it was <laughs> if it was Jensen, I think his name was, was the first character to die under C Commander Shepard's like command that we see on camera instead of some kid out of nowhere. I think you could have had like this. So he's haunted by the ghosts of all the decisions he's had to make. That could have been a lot a compelling narrative element. Instead, it was like, why is this stupid kid here out of nowhere? Oh, to explain the ending at the end. Like I'm like I see what you're doing and I don't like it. I was just like. <laughs> like, you wrote yourself into a corner and you needed a DMPC to explain everything to me. Like, um, no, I, I, um, I have different thresholds for like how much, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, yeah. So the D and D movie, man, I can't wait for them to make that movie and they're going to bring me on as the writer and it's going to be the best movie ever. Yeah. And I'm still going to cast one of the Wayans brothers. It's just going to be Damon Wayans. As like the old like wizard, it's gonna be sweet. No, <laughs> like imagine imagine like Major Pain, except he's a wizard. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> All right. Uh, you All right. got me. Yeah. No, no you I, got me. There's there's no shame in using expository characters in, especially yeah. in an RPG. The point is to get is to play is to be actively playing the game and playing a role is part of playing the game. Rolling dice is part of playing the game. Um, you know, you don't want to be describing, you don't want to LOTR and describe the characters walking along in every rock and, and kill and all that stuff. You want the characters to actually be playing. You don't want to just be describing everything. And then a DMPC or a narrative, like, or a, uh, expository character is really handy in an RPG because the players get to interact with it. They get to ask it questions. They get to roll dice against it if they want to try to bribe it or whatever. Like, um, or they want to, you know, use diplomacy or persuasion. Or, you know, they say this expository character says something, and your character's like, "Oh, my backstory says I'm from that place." Like, and then you're like, "Oh, roll dice. Maybe you know something about that place." Like, giving them right. you're, you're giving your players avenues to interact with your shared experience, your shared story. That's why expository characters are good in D and D, and they're tend to be lazy in regular narrative because regular narrative tends to follow the show don't tell and you're vomiting telling on people with an expositional character. Right. <laughs> and everything yeah. is forgiven if the character's interesting. So make your things interesting. Um True. Um so yeah, you got the character, the 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 mentor. Um where do you go from there? Is that or is that it? Like you boom, got it. No, I, I think it's important for a, a character to um to go across a boundary of some kind where they've hit the the investment, the kind of the emotional investment of the story. So, um, uh, you know, a good example of that is is Frodo leaving or Star Wars or, has it too. He goes to the canyon. Yeah, or, um, sort of. Tr uh, what is it? The Wizard's Rule, the Sword of Truth series has it, where he literally crosses a barrier into the other world. Um, yeah, Narnia's got it. Really. Like they all have some metaphoric or, or physical barrier they cross. Yeah, exactly. Something they can't return from, and it's you know it's Tyrion, you know, facing his father with a crossbow. Right. That's the 
this is the the moment like this is it this is this is like the pre-climax like super nail-biting moment mm -hmm. um that that basically says okay you know what the call to action is you know what the refusal means if you want to refuse it you have this person encouraging the party and now it's time to jump out of the airplane and go find the war zone mm -hmm. yeah cool um so that's usually like the boundary and then you meet the you meet the 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 people that you find along the way like um you know the uh, in labyrinth uh this the character she meets a whole bunch of uh yeah sarah meets uh like this rock guy who can control rocks mm -hmm. did i die did i drop my computer Is no my no you're still died? there you're still there like your your video's frozen but i can hear you Okay, cool. I look awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, so like uh, you know, she has this this character that can control rocks, or you know, she's got these little allies or enemies or or whatever. She's the one who pees on fairies, like that one. I can't remember his name. Yeah, yeah, the, the guy who pees on fairies. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, you you have the you know, in or Luke's case, uh, I don't know if I died. No, you're still here. No, you're still here. I'll I'll try to refresh this. I'll, I might maybe refresh. Okay. Like Discord just like went black on me entirely. Like it's yeah, okay. it's crashing. Yeah. It's gonna restart. All right. Um, hey, like, hey, what if we force the restart real quick? Um, uh, real quick, chat gang. What's your favorite labyrinth character? Obviously, mine's the Goblin King. Um, David Bowie, in that movie, uh, is in many ways directly responsible for who I am to this day. Um, what's cool about yeah, I know. Who else could it be? The Goblin King. Come on. Um, but what's going... What I... I don't know if he's going to get to this point. So I'll let him... Oh, he's back. All right. We'll see. Are you back? Hey, he's back. All right. Cool. So the characters they meet along the way. I was going to bring up a point about Bowie, but I will save it. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, the, let me just, like, tear through the rest of the list. The characters they meet along the way can also be their mentor. It can be the Yoda... Um, it can be the trial that they're doing is they're they're you know training to be the Jedi, running around Dagobah, getting awesome. Um, and did you and just reference okay Kotor like as well? What's that? Did you just re uh, reference Kotor as well, right? Like where they're because you actually run around and you assemble your your lightsaber and everything. You go through the whole the whole bit. Um, I was less of a Kotor person and more of a Swatwar person. And I know that makes people hate me immediately, but... No, that's fine. You can't... <laughs> longevity of an interest doesn't equal worthiness of an interest. Get that out of... I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I I really liked what they did with the... Um, Switch War. The uh, Star Wars... The, the, the MMO. Older, yeah. Yeah, the MMO. Yeah, the MMO um, was pretty solid. The Jedi storyline was actually, like... Was real writing. I think that was the Drew Carmichan mm -hmm. storyline, right? Um, yeah, that was. I mean, I'm like this. Ooh, we've got real big boy writing here, not just like video game writing. So like, yeah. Know. Well, the, the trooper story also. I don't know if you played it, but it has some really good like moral decisions to make. Yeah. And like, ooh, these are soldier choices. Like, this yeah. is good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Right, right out of the movies from World War Two. That you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's what you want. I mean, we might be continue with the characters we meet along the way, but like decisions along the way is super important. You want those interactions and those decision points. Continue. Yeah. Um, so uh, next, I think um, players have to have like a, a sense of of um, you know, okay, my I'm ready. 
my pencils are sharp and I'm going to get in there. Um, and they got to start their ordeal. They're going to get into the point where they're going to go and, you know, drive up to the villain's skyscraper and start to scale the outside. Or they're going to, you know, go into the cave or they're going to, you know, kick in the door. One way or the other, they're going to go face their ordeal. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's usually some kind of payoff. And then the road ahead. Yeah. And that's really, that's really it. It's like right out of the playbook, man. You can like go look this list up. <laughs> yeah. The, the, uh, the, the hero's journey. Yeah. The hero's journey, also known as the monomyth. Um, it's not the only, uh, it's not the only plot archetype. There's about seven, uh, about seven in all of literature. I know if you really want to forever be ruined from enjoying fiction ever again, um, you yeah. you major in English lit, and one of the first courses you'll get when you get to about the 200 level is something that tells you that there are only seven stories that have ever been told since the history of mankind. And uh... <laughs> but that that yeah. comes back to like knowing what cinema's got three plots. Thank thank you. Um... <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh... What is it? Property and people and yeah. Uh... And ego, right? I think yeah. those are the three. Yeah, it's like pl- like films got like three, and you've got the experimental one where or concept, right? Where like it, plot isn't doesn't exist, and it's just about like, can I do this? And then like, yeah. in each scene, going, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? You know, that's the um, yeah, that's Empire, right? Like the Andy Warhol, like is this even cinema? And you just shoots the Empire State Building. Um, but there's no, less closer to like lift or the cube. Yeah. You know, yeah. Where they're just like going scene to scene and they're just like, they're kind of, there's, um, what's the, that, there's that, I think it's not a Lynch movie. There's, um, oh my God. It's on the tip of my tongue. It's a uh, mind okay. something. Oh my, I can see the enemy cover. Mind? No enemy mind's great, but no, I can see the cover of it. It's got a, it's got like a multicolored character's face and then like gushing from the side of his head is all these like, um, all these like, uh, almost like shattered glass panes. I can't remember the name of it. Oh my gosh. Um, but that's like, just like, yeah, it's just like a pure (laughs) experiment, like experimental. Um, so yeah, you've got like, also you've got like experimental or concept. Um, some people hate concept plots. I actually find concept plots work really well in RPGs. So concept plot is like just going, you know, can I do this or does this work? And you can do that adventure to adventure. You can do that act to act. Like it's when you you talked about this nice little structure for your campaign. Um, you just take that and you zoom it in. You go an adventure is that, and then you you continue to zoom that out. And so at each depending on how complex you want to make it, uh, you you can have the call to action to get onto the main plot, like. Getting through that village. This is where we, you talked about, like going and looking at that acorn or whatever, or the the soul. Yeah. Site, right. Like the adv- the first adventure, the call to action is to get you to go there. So that's adventure one, right? And then adventure two, you stumble upon the bigger layer, and you could you just go through this over and over and over again. And again, there's different narrative plot types and stuff like that, but there's a reason Monomyth is the most common. It's It, it very naturally aligns to, in particular, an adventure game, which what is what Soulbound is. I mean, this is a, yeah. this is an adventuring game. You know, my plot structure is going to look a little bit different for VTM. You know, that's a lot more exploratory concept. Um, you know, I, I talked, yeah. Y- yeah. I mean, I talked about how, like, I start with a premise, usually. Um, a premise being, uh, Heretics was here talking about, like, single words. Well, that's, that's kind of, in, you're getting in the right vein, but you want your premise to do something or say something. So you want an yeah. active premise. 
you don't want. I love your... that. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. You, go you ahead, bring go ahead. in BTM in casual, and and I just love that the storyteller games where BTM is about predation. It's about I own people or I own or I own uh, control, right? And then there's like Wraith, which is about um, uh, wrapping up loose connections and loose ends and finishing an unfinished story. Um, or the impossibility of finishing an unfinished story. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, I love how they take those and they just really paint them in super broad terms. Like, there's no way to get away from this now. This is just the world you're in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Soulbound so, luckily has ghosts and vampires in it. So yeah, yeah. You and you can play with those dials and go where you want to go. Um, yeah. You can change it if you want to. <laughs> to take from uh, Monica from. Uh, um, bonus experience podcast she was on a few episodes ago um but uh, yeah so so you've got the sort of structure down well now you need to build details do you have any strategies for building your details do you draw from the players do we go back to our mm-hmm. movies like how do you how do you layer that stuff in um again i i, I kind of go off of a um you know what i want to achieve communicating for the storyline for each session mm-hmm so I talked about a mage game a while ago um, that was it's literally a campaign I could run it again and again and again. But in each session, they're going to do something new. Like the first session is a um, we didn't talk about this uh, a little. We talked about a little bit of session zero, but we didn't talk about one to one role playing. Um, I like to do this with my players when they're coming up with their character concept. I will just have a role playing session with just them, where they're the focus of the whole thing, and I will provide them scenarios. And situations and help them kind of suss out what their character is mm-hmm. so we usually start with like an, an, an origin story of some kind um and then the next part of it is that origin story leads them to this teacher and that teacher is going to be how the characters are linked um they all have this life-changing experience where they were taught how to bend reality with their mind and it doesn't matter how wild the concepts of these characters were to begin with one of them was a single mom who was a um a nurse and another one was the uh sheriff's deputy and another one was a custodian who um had a terrible stutter and um they were all they all have this like um you know rich atmospheric life to them but they're all linked through this teacher soulbound soulbound does this naturally too i mean soulbound you someone would have performed the binding Right, so you're going to have a natural a natural anchor in that respect. Um, continue, and, and I think that's like really just there to get, say it, it's there as a, a crutch, but like it's a uh, a <laughs> and say this is you know go find other soul band like them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I I um I like it because I, I think this is one of those things that makes soul soulbound uh, a, a really good bridge game. To, to build that bridge from wargaming to RPGs. And, like, now you've played Soulbound for a little bit, you get comfortable with RPGs, and now you go out and you want to play VTM and stuff like that. But it, it codifies some of these things that more experienced GMs probably know or use already, whether they know they're intentionally... You know, storytelling is one of the, just the purest, oldest art forms um, that we have. You know, there's even... You know, some of the cave drawings were like, we think that they're these prolific historical things. And it's just like, it turns out that they're just like jokes and wisecracks or some of the oldest cave drawings. It's just like yeah. jokes shared between tribes and stuff. Um, storytelling is pretty ancient. Humans have kind of, have essentially coded 
in their DNA stories and how to tell them. And, and even if you're not like hip to the lingo of monomyth and, you know, premise yeah. and uh, subtext and all these things that we use, like you, you know, this stuff you've, you've consumed stories your whole life. You've read stories. You've, you've watched movies. You've listened to songs, you've, you know, that, that have, you know, you've heard stairway to heaven. Like you, you've been told, you've been, consuming stories this whole time you've played a great video game um and whether you're intentionally doing it or or, or not you're you're using this stuff and and what i like about soulbound is it does kind of codify that stuff into the rules so that it becomes it goes from being subtextual to textual um, i like that it yeah, does that sure. so did you read the player guide that um cubicle seven put up on their site not yet um, they give us a list. It's a little close to what we're already talking about. Okay. I wrote it down. It's short. If you wouldn't mind, I, I'd like no, to go read ahead. it off. No, by all means. This is a player's guide. So it's like guide for other players, not necessarily. We've been totally GM focused for this conversation, but players need advice too. And we can't always presume that the players are going to be super experienced. Um, just because, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I run sessions with little kids in it. Mm -hmm. um, I just got to make it okay for them to break all the windows in the room, I guess. <laughs> so uh, the player guide I thought was really good. Um, they said uh, step one is to create a compelling character, something you want to be, uh, something that is either um, a shinier version of you or something that you aspire to or something that you admire or a even if it's like it doesn't have to be a great thing that you're admiring. It could be something like I want to be a badass like Boba Fett. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I want to be that. Wolverine. I'm just going to make Wolverine right. in Soulbound. Yep. Like I'm. Yeah, there we go. Yep. He's got the chop, the hair, all. Oh. Yeah, um, yeah. You can do this. You can. Uh, the second step, which I've said, uh, I I really love these words they chose for this, which is interrogate the fiction. And what I think that means is when uh they say when the GM says you walk into the village, and they say a chicken clocks as the gates open, and that's it. Like, you can say, what are the guards wearing? Um, you know, I you, you mentioned earlier the annoying guy who's like, what is the history of this village? Well, you're going to have to go find a book first, um, and then you can read. We'll talk about it then. Uh, so then the questions become, where would I find a book? You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's the interrogating the fiction. Um, then the next step is to be a fan of each other. And I think this is critical. Um, yes. When players are... I, I, this is another thing I think Soulbound achieves. So the act of Soulbinding, a, a Soulbound group, uh, you are bound together. You're, you're inextricably linked. Um, you have to have a reason to be connected one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And uh, whether it's by hook or by crook. And it's I think it's okay to have, you know, a conflict, uh, a conflict there. But you should be, like, when, you're, when your buddy is, or when another fellow player is, like, really in character and they're really nailing it, you got to be thinking to yourself like, yeah, you did it. Yes, yeah. like you are such a pirate right now, or you <laughs> wait a pirate, yeah, a cast right now. Yeah, well, it, it, this this works for the GM too. I, GM, be a fan of your players, like yeah, like be a fan of your players. Um, it's huge. Yep. Um, and then the next part is uh, leave room for your character to grow, which is, I think, uh, an interesting challenge. Um. So I, I, I at one point made a character who was retired. He had been a paladin in his youth, and he'd become a fisherman, and he had been a fisherman for 20 years. Uh, and then suddenly his church is calling him back to arms. So he goes and he he gets his armor out, and it doesn't fit him. And he's wearing what he can, and his sword is rusty, and 
you know, uh, that character doesn't have a lot of room to grow because he's already theoretically past his his prime. But another way of looking at it is like, okay, is he changing his discipline? Is he looking at into the future in a way where if he overcomes his quest, is he going to wrap up some loose end here? The story doesn't have to be about that character. So by saying, giving your character room to grow, it doesn't have to be literally the character is going to grow. It can be the character is going to advance the story. It can be, um, you know, I mean, what's cool with that is, is this, you have this, this, you know, retired pal, and this is where like having a quirk like that's mm-hmm. left over like he did take the like the arrow to the knee and he retired type thing like you can yeah yeah you you now have that character have to sort of reimagine its itself in this palpable feature that you've given that character that's going to make you have to go back to that and and change something and you know right like, for sure all right um how's it going and then there's two more uh which is one is uh build connections with the other characters which i think is just done through the soul binding process and the last part is to share the damn spotlight, which is super important. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I'm not gonna lie; I can be a bit of. I'm a. I am a big personality. I don't know if you've caught on to this yet, chat gang. Uh, I haven't noticed. Yeah, haven't. No, I'm. I'm a little bit of a big personality, so um, I have to. I use D and D terms. I have. I tend to have to like avoid charisma characters if I'm in a in a group of like newer players. Because, like, I cannot play the face guy and let new players... Because I'm going to, like, ham it up. I'm going to be over the top. Um, that's why, I, like, I'll, I'll, I'll sink into, a, like, a, a comic relief role or, uh, you know... Describe, for, for people who haven't played RPGs, describe what the face guy is. The face guy would be the character who, like, you essentially accepts the quests. You know, this is the character that's got a lot of the social skills, the persuasions, the, the, the bluff, the... the uh, intimidates. They've got the the charm. The face guy is the quote unquote face of the party. Um, usually, yeah. they're they're the they are the face of the party. They're usually this is not to be conflated with a wrestling term because I know some of you know that I wrestled once upon a time. Uh, the face guy would be the essentially the face of the party. Um, and yeah. You also have the librarian. You have the uh, what's, what's the other one? Librarian. Huh? What's that? Chewbacca, the dog. Yeah, yeah, and then you've got the combat monkey. Like, so you've you've got these like roles that like there's some brilliant sort of like meta knowledge of the nature of players and character archetypes. Like you're you are playing a a class, but players themselves also essentially begin to break down into certain roles and stuff like that. And uh, very very, there are some very very nerdy studies about this stuff <laughs> so that, true, that I won't true. bog my this this episode down with but yeah face guy is you're, you're the face of the party um and so like yeah. uh you know there's um you know so I mean just anecdotal here you know I, I have a I have a, a character who, who I've gamed with off and on since college um you know forever this is what 16 plus years I, I've got a couple people I game with that I've gamed with longer than that, believe it or not. Um, but he's not a charismatic individual. Um, he's not like the the nerd trope, like he's awkward. And he, but he's just like he's not no big personality. Very much like a nice guy, kind of quiet. Um, you know, he tends not to play face guys. But on that occasion where he plays the face guy, um, giving him some some spotlight to shine has really enriched games when you you have that player 
you know, this is this is the dichotomy between what I call role playing and role playing. That's R O L L playing and R O L E playing. Um, you can use role playing R O L L to supplement. So, like, I am not a genius. Like, I am not Doctor House M D levels of intellect. But I want to play Doctor House M D. This is where my my GM can go. Oh, dude, yeah, like you've got an int twenty, or you've got you know all the you've got oh you've got Arcana, you've got knowledge in this. Oh, just roll the dice, man. Oh yeah, you totally know all this. You know, like yeah, doing enhancing. This is an opportunity where the dice can actually supplement the role play, and you find when you encourage players in that way, especially with like the guy who wants to play the face guy, like let them persuade the bartender to give them the drinks for free. What's it matter? You know, like that's right. Yeah, like do stuff like that where like they get to feel like that face guy because what you end up happening, you, what you find happening, it, it becomes cyclical, and the you know that like okay, I'm not like the genius, but suddenly like that character starts thinking super, or the player starts thinking super tactically because you've kept rewarding the 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 character in the scenes with their intellect, and it's right. very. It's very important to like remember this sort of stuff. I think as players and as GMs that you you can use it's. There's a snobbery that's come with RPGing now that it's become pop culture, where like we have this old guard of RPG gamers, and I don't I don't particularly care for it. Where it's like like you can't ever roll dice or you're a bad role player because you're using no the dice. There's a reason it's a game. Like I am not, you know, a a, a physical beast, but my character is. You know that that's a lot easier to see on the dice, right? Because I yeah. have the big strength that does the big damage. You can do equivalents of that in your narrative and in your stories and your problem solvings and your social situations. It's okay to do that too. Um, sorry, tangent. Um, Rantcast. <laughs> Rantcast. You're good, man. You're good. I've done it a couple times on this call already, so yeah, I appreciate your patience. Yeah, no, no. This is this is what it's about. This is why we do this thing. Um. So, um, I like this player's guide. Um. My, the real resonant one for me is be a fan of the other players or be a fan. You can, I mean, think yeah. of, I mean, it, it, this, this is going to help reinforce that cooperative experience. Um, and that's, that's really, you can still, if you're a fan of somebody, it's a lot easier even to RP conflict because you're like, I know my character's opposed to you, like in this scene, you know, you want to take the, the plant pod back to the initial quest giver and yeah. I want to defend the water pool, right? Like, and I'm playing the dark elf, and you're you're playing the the, the stormcast, right? So you want to take it, you, or you want to defend it, and I want to take it back. Um, our characters have conflict, right? Characters have conflict, but as the players, I'm just like, oh, you just said this lie that was so damn heroic. I like, Ugh. and like, so like, I am now. You get this like this tertiary layer of conflict now because like I want to play my character a certain way. But the players just like cheering and high fiving the buddy sitting next to me, who's just like crushing their 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 RP, and so now like I'm conflicted with my own character, and then you're gonna like really you get to go. This almost reminds me of that imagination box because like now you're gonna have to start going deeper on your like what you say back or your line of decision making to like you know to get into that 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 scene deeper to like really play your character and really kind of come to a, a conflict resolution right like you're gonna right. for the game to pr progress so you have to solve that conflict in that moment and then move forward i personally think you need to balance the dice rolling and role playing i 100 percent agree i hate the players who think they are able to do something just because they can roll dice i mean that it's it's fair 
but again, it's really important to remember that, like, there is, we're, it's a, it's, you know, like, there's a reason it's not just straight up improv on a stage where, like, we're really actually fencing each other and, like, wearing armor and stuff. Like, um, yeah. you know, there, there is a bit of, of, there is a bit of, like, you know, limits to, to, like, your natural human condition. That's why you escape into an RPG, I feel. Um, or rather, yeah. that's why I do anyway. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's important, you know, the dice are there to help and supplement. And and if you view it as like a, as, you know, the, the, the Gary Gygax rule zero, like it is not, it is not the rules that are like paramount to the game. It's the essentially the other way around, right? Where like it is the, it is the story and the interaction that is the best, is, is the most important part. Um, yeah. You know, dice are, rules you know um you you use them to help you you use them to form a common ground between all the players at the table you know that's what rules do that's what dice do they they give us a common lexicon to draw from when we want to do anything and everything we could possibly do with our imaginations you know uh, my imagination is quite grandiose and over the top you know, like another player might be more hard-boiled Game of Thrones straightforward, right? Like I'm out there playing Dragonlance and they're playing Game of Thrones and we need some fulcrum of balance to interact yeah. in that world. And that's where the dice and that's where the game mechanics come in. So You know, it's it's interesting that uh, that was the comment was brought up in chat, the, um, the idea that a player can just roll a dice and, and get through something. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess... I guess there, I my my challenge to that is is um make them describe it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there's that, but also like um that player is challenging you for control of what's going on in the scene, and so if you say like this door is impenetrable, and they're like, I'll be the judge of that, and they get their dice out, um that's okay. It, it uh like what are you afraid of here? Are you afraid of them getting the door open? Um, are you afraid of them? feeling successful and and are you afraid of them like getting the person on the other side out or or get in um so that I, i'd love to see some some uh to, to like kind of hear your advice for somebody who's who's worried about uh somebody's just crunching numbers to get through yeah the, the tough stuff. i mean i mean that's that's where you you got to go to like player versus character motivated like you know what is what does the player want right now you know like what does the character mm -hmm. want are they at odds or like you said are they wrestling you for control of the scene um my advice is really to just get them to describe it too you know like if you have a like my friend who you know he is not the silver tongue true face of our actual group in reality but you know when he when he played a face in our most recent campaign it was some of the most rewarding gameplay we've ever had by just helping him come out of that shell rolling the dice at first but then like okay so he rolls it oh dude you natural 20 that well, what do you say though like oh man this has got to be an epic speech and like he's like well i really want to convey the this and you're like oh so you say like something like yeah yeah then i say and you 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 coax them out of you know if they're if they're solving the problem with their intellect then you like oh they're playing chess well i you know like you know, I don't know the all the lingo of the chess personally, you know, E E to there, like pawn to E five. Like I don't know all that stuff. Like yeah. like I'm rolling the dice. I'm like, oh dude, yeah, you you play this awesome move and then like maybe you even go into like describing it like it's like Obi Wan versus Anakin. Like you, you go into like you've got you know, you've lured him into that, that scene. You you can whatever it takes to get across the emotional thread 
that they're trying to convey with those dice, I think is what you, what you do. That, that was perfect, actually, the, the way you tied that in there. Um, we do have some clarification in the chat. They're saying that they uh, uh, hate when a player uh, says they have a deception, they want to lie, but they just roll the dice, and then the, they don't have to say what the lie is. Um, not everybody's going to be awesome at that. That's kind of like, uh, as, as you know, you mentioned there, Mef, the, the idea that somebody could be house MD in character, but not actually be house MD. Right. Um, so uh, I think... If the if you as the storyteller or the GM are a fan of that character being successful and you're like they nailed it with a twenty, and that person is maybe struggling to come up with a fiction that suits uh, what they just did in the dice, then that's an opportunity for you to like just take it to the next level. Um, you know, talk about how they you know brought up their their past as a, a you know being raised on a slave ship and then they've aroused the crowd into some kind of um you know uh you know a war cry into you know storming this the castle and and you did it just by doing this epic speech by standing on a table in a tavern and and talking about how you had it hard when you were a kid yeah. you know that kind of thing and and it doesn't have to be super long everybody gets the idea right yeah 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 i, I think that a really good uh, distinction for a door or a road you don't want your player uh, to take because without a doubt the players will take it. It's true. Like I, I love. I actually. I I I, I got I love when my players go off script because I like that feeling. As a GM, this is one of the reasons why. Like I, I personally love GMing is I love that that moment where I have to solve a puzzle suddenly. <laughs> you know, like where like my players have done something I didn't expect for the narrative and all this stuff, and so like now I've got like all these these like puzzle pieces of of getting the best scene, the best story across at that moment. And I'm like, okay, they've just got off script. Um, yeah. All right. Like, what do we do? And like, and there, there's, there's a, there's a pure joy in that for me, which is why I love, I love being surprised. I used to run this one module at Gen Con of my own for riffs. It was always, it was a train heist literally on tracks because when I first yeah. wrote it, I thought about like the, um, you know, I thought about like, okay, I've got a time limit. I got to run this in. I'm gonna have like multiple people come through, so I've got pre-gen characters like just wadded up at the center of the table. Uh, spare copies in my my backpack, just in case someone crumples it or accidentally takes it with them. Um, I just remember like not knowing what to expect, so I'm like, I'm gonna run the most basic adventure I can, train heist, and like some of the people in the room want to heist the train, and some of the people in in the room want to like protect the train from getting heisted. Right, and um, and you have these pre-gen characters, and and like so, I ran like I said a really basic adventure that I could get across in about like two or three hours or four hours. I can't even remember my original time slot. Never ever had the same outcome, ever. That's On awesome. the most structured basic plot I could come up with. I had one where they crashed the train and the elemental powering the train got loose and pillaged a, and like terrorized a village and then like the bandits and the like good guys like teamed up to go stop the like the this fire elemental that got out. I had this like utter like I had the uh the train heist become a who done it out of nowhere <laughs> where like someone just assassinates the barkeep and like and now it's a who done it on who killed the like who killed the barkeep and the whole heist plot just like went like out the window you know like I just I, I remember running that game over and over and over again and and like always being surprised by my players and it's strangers yeah. in that case 
And this goes back to the yes anding thing, where you're just like, okay, I see where you're going with this. Like, and then just trying to like, okay, like let's go go here. It becomes difficult balancing all the players' agendas, right? Because every exactly. player wants something else out of the scene. Um, and that's where you just got to like, you were talking about really, really early on, is you really got to give each player their attention and their moments to shine. Maybe they can't all shine in the same adventure, but like if one character really takes over an adventure for whatever reason, the dice aren't going the way of like the other players, right? Like you have those, all, like you just dice aren't aren't with you in the combat, so you're whiffing on every fight, and your friend next to you can't stop rolling nat twenties. You know, like I've had sessions like that where they're just like, just crush it. Well, the next time, the next adventure rolls around try to you know you move that focus you move that camera around a little bit you focus on the other players mm-hmm. um or try to give them problems that can't be solved with dice you know uh you you're delighted by that stuff as a gm i am kind of terrified by that stuff i really? so that's part of the reason why i'm so prepared why i have put so much effort into the plot points is because i you know somebody throws me a good curveball i i'm just screwed um, my brother, on the other hand, I have to give him some credit here. He runs a game shop and he has pickup games of D and D on Wednesday nights where just dudes off the street roll in and like, what you doing? And he's like, we're playing D and D sit down. And then they do. <laughs> and you gotta tell somebody who's never played before what's going on. And so, um, just to, to share a quick story with this, this is how quick my brother is. Um, this dude comes in who's never played D D before, and he's a bit of a um, like a a butthead. Mm-hmm. As uh, I can't really describe him in any better way, he's like kind of a oh yeah, well I'm gonna do this kind of guy, right? Yeah. And so the he he's playing a, a dwarf, and I think his name is Brosef or something like that. And mm-hmm. uh, the dwarf, like they get to the city, the party is like there's a handful of players that play every week. And there's this dwarf, he's this pickup guy, and they're just kind of tolerating him being there. He's a fighter, he's kind of an idiot character. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they get to the city, they, it, my brother describes opening the gates and the marble walls, and it's it's this high nobility elfin city with tons of um, you know, really fancy stuff everywhere, and these royal guards standing proud that, you know, they're like the British guards that don't react when you're standing in front of them. And uh, next thing you know, uh, Brosef is like, yeah, I take off all my clothes and I jump in the fountain. And my brother said, why would you do that? He said, well, I'm filthy, man. I need a bath. Mm-hmm. This is the cleanest water we've seen in the whole session. And so that's that's true. And it's totally in character. And my brother rolls with it. And so the guards are like, get out of the fountain. You know, they get over close. They're trying to wrestle this naked dwarf who now has soap on him. Uh, out of the fountain, and the, the dwarf's like, "I am more dangerous when I nude." You know, it's just like <laughs> pugilating these these elven guards, and they're getting pissed off, right? So uh, they're they're slipping around and trying to get him out peacefully, but then at some point, um, the dwarf like loses control and he plows into the sculpture in the middle of the fountain and destroys it, just like smashes it to bits. And uh, so now the guards are like, "Swords come out!" Right? They, he has desiccated this. Uh, or desecrated this, uh, um, he has not dried out the fountain. He has desecrated this fountain, and the, the guards are pissed, and suddenly there was an artifact revealed inside the statue, and the uh, uh, some kind of uh, noble person was coming by and said, oh, you found it, and you, you come with me. There was rumors that this was in the city, but we never found it when we moved in. 
And so next thing you know, this dwarf is responsible for taking this artifact to the High Council. And my brother took this dude off the street who wanted to be the life of the party, made him the life of the party, and then the moved in person, the yeah. player, he was now manipulated into, oh, well, I got it. I'm responsible for this. I got to make sure the High Council gets this thing. Yeah. And it was this amazing, like, I have no idea how my brother did this. It's just like, just from, you know, 30 plus years of, of DMing, he had this experience. He was able to draw on this stuff. Yeah. And it, it kind of reminded me of this, this brilliant moment my son's preschool teacher had where there was this bully in the class. He, I mean, these kids are all in their preschools. They're very little kids. Um, but he was just a jerk. And whenever somebody had a book, he'd go up to them and he'd swat the book out of their hand and he'd take it away from them and they'd cry. And it was about this control. And so she made him in charge of the books. She's like, you now have to go and make sure everyone who wants a book gets the book they want. And just that little flip of the switch, suddenly he became acutely interested in making sure everyone in the room had the book they wanted. And because he's in charge of the books, he had to put them all back when they were done. So like she took this kid who had who was a bad actor and turned him into something that was a um what that was literally driving the story forward. Um and my brother did the same thing for his his little D and D pickup group. I don't know. For to for people to do a lot of saying, long story. For people to do what you're into, to take those curveballs, I I admire that deeply. I am not able to do those. Well, things. I, I I talked about earlier on is you set yourself up to be able to improv like that. Um, you know, one I, draw on experience. You know, I've I've GM'd I think about twenty six years now. Um, and for those of you keeping track of my age, that means I've been a GM since I was about nine years old. So my nine-year-old games were very different. They were standing in the backyard, me because I played D and D like one time, right? When I was like nine years old, my friend's older brother, he's a, he's a cool middle schooler, right? And he ran us in a D and D game, and then we went outside. I was reading Dragonlance, I believe, around that time anyway. Uh, so we went outside, and then like I replicated what we did with D and D with his brother outside, and then I just had like the one die. And like whether it would work or not, and we go through that, and that's how I kind of started. And by the time I got to middle school, I was like enamored with role playing games, and I found Rifts and TMNT and like all the things that I was already into, um, you know. And and so like I knew I, we were going to mention TMNT at some point. Oh, I love TMNT; it's so good. Um, I mean, it's it's really flawed, but like it's now yeah. af- it's now after the bomb because the TMT license eventually eventually expired from Palladium, and so now it's after the bomb as a system, and it's not. Uh, essentially a mutagen bomb goes off and the whole world becomes like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's awesome. Uh, come on, it's awesome. It's so good. It's awesome. uh, um, there's also a, a Euro game that's got a very, very similar premise. I, I'm, I'm blanking. Uh, Road to Eden or something like that. Um, pretty cool. They, they made an, uh, they made a, a strategy sort of uh, yeah, uh, right? XCOM style game out of, out, of the, uh, Euro, out of the Euro RPG. It's pretty great. Um, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, but like um you know so that's where i started and in in 6th grade then i wrote a lot of adventures like module style with specific blocks of dialogue that you would meet an npc and like i would want you like to say stuff so that they would have to read like if they ask about this and i read this paragraph and then like i had like like read pick your own adventure novels that i was basically writing for every adventure and then I hit high school, 
where I moved away from kind of my began to move away from my core group of like younger friends that had been on this journey the whole way up with me to where like now I have to start like in conscripting a gaming group, right? So like yeah. I went to six different high schools. Everywhere I went to, I had to conscript a new a new group of gamers. So I had to like build a gaming group everywhere I went. Um, with one exception being Green Bay, which had Rogue Traders, and that was the Vampire Store, and uh, all Vampire, all White Wolf, all the time, and that's where I really kind of came out of my shell a little bit. Like, I went on this, like, sojourn of GMing, and uh, high school is where, like, I took my, like, pick-your-own-adventure novel-style modules and threw it out the damn window, because the group I, I GMed when I was about ninth, ninth and 10th grade... I could not ever get them to say the stuff or explore the stuff. I could never get them to do anything. So, like, I started to have to to improv a lot more. And I started to get preparation fatigue because they always wanted to play, like, new characters and stuff. And I'm like, I can't even keep a consistent, like, character arc. I don't know what to do anymore. Like, and so I had that moment of, of just, like, kind of throwing my own rules of GMing out the window and I had to kind of rebuild myself. So by yeah. the time I hit college, I had both the overprepared guy and this like my campaign will never do go where it wants to go. It was like fusion ha. They beca- they came together in college. So like the end product is this I write down a blurb of like a, a single quotation mark sentence for a character. This is some Thing I want them to tell. If, if I need like a full speech, like I know you're going to walk into town and someone's giving like a whole speech, I'll write the whole speech. But like I had almost an entire speech ready to improv with several bullet points for the uh, the Soulbound yeah. game I ran last week uh, when they were in the uh, when they were in the uh, the the sort of like congregation room at the end. And Chuck Moore immediately uh, like cuts off my like guy and I'm just like cross off all my notes. We're in RP mode. I enjoy that, but you got to prepare to be unprepared. Like, and that's really where, um, reading in energy of your players, um, you know, kind of like rolling with the punches. Yes. Anding them, rounding up, rewarding, clever ideas, rewarding, clever uh, plans, giving them ways to get in. But you still want that moment where the players like find that detail that you hid in your notebook. You know, you still, cause that is those deeper, things and so like all of that I don't know it's um you know I I I don't plan as in depth as I used to it's maps encounters and beats that's every adventure for me it's maps encounters and beats and then I I look forward to when I have to go off script um the biggest plot point in my last campaign uh there were a couple but I gave the party the MacGuffin at the very beginning of the campaign this is the Manus Mortis. It can kill gods. They didn't believe me. So we got to like the, the act. This ended up being like an act four or an act five uh, like arc. It, it ran two years. Um, and they took the hammer and they killed like the mid campaign boss with it. Cause they didn't believe me that I gave them the thing to kill the final boss at the end of the game. Now they have a really big damn problem. <laughs> Cause they just used the MacGuffin I gave them halfway through the campaign. So that when they get to the end of the campaign, there's just a huge problem. But what it did is it caused this, these conflicts all along the way. I told him in the first adventure, the main villain of the campaign is this guy. The only thing he fears on this planet is that hammer. Like, he's the whole conflict is he's trying to get that hammer from you. And you're trying to get the hammer someplace safe. 
And then just, awesome. you hit the guy with the hammer who annoyed you the most that day. <laughs> like, in, you know, we've gamed one whole year and you just hit the guy. I'm just like, <laughs> all right, now now we've got a real campaign on our hands. So, like, then we have this, like, whole, like, like the world's falling apart. The main bad guy has nothing to fear anymore. So he's doing everything with the maximum amount of hubris. Some of the best GMing I've ever done. Because my party nice. went off script so early, and and you gotta embrace that. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's good. Perfect. Yeah, they MacGuffin the MacGuffin. <laughs> it's it's. So I've only got a couple minutes left. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry to do that to you. I, I'm sorry to have no, to fail. No, no, no. I've had a, I've had a, I've had a fantastic time. No regrets. So. Same, man. Same. Um. I'd love to be on again if you'd have me. I would totally have you on. We, I feel like you and I could, 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 uh, could rap about RPGs forever. <laughs> which, which is funny because I, it's probably been twenty years since I've run a game. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so, I, do you have a Soulbound plans playing or running? Bring it all the way back to. I'm, I'm sorry. Was that a question? Yeah. Do you have any like plans of running? I think you mentioned uh, Jack and Brent, and and you're thinking about getting the rerolling ones crew. Are you going to be yeah, running, so, playing? Like, what's that? Yeah. Um, I'm I'm definitely running. I'm the person to, with the background in it. I'm I'm most excited to run it. Um, I will definitely be playing with them. We don't know if we're going to be playing, um, on the channel. We had big plans to play on the channel, but it we have you know a different camera setup, pointing at different people, that kind of thing. But that would have been a day where we would have been in person. So our state, sadly, is still in a uh, shelter in place and hasn't moved to any of the phases of unlocking yet. So we're kind of playing it cool, uh, keeping our distance right now. We don't want to be the reason that somebody gets sick. Right, um, right. So uh, if we do it, we'll probably do it digitally like we're doing here. Uh, we might go through a couple of uh, uh, um, loops first and then take it to the channel if, if people are interested in watching that kind of content. I think people watching RPGs is probably a little bit more popular than people watching Battle Report, but... Our channel is definitely battle report centric, and that's not going to go away. Um, it's what we do and what is important to us. So, right on. Right on. We didn't so, even touch on battle reports. Battle reports suck. <laughs> uh, man, I had in my notes here at the very beginning, <laughs> the top of the show, battle reports suck, and then that was my beat, and that was how we were going to start the show, and uh, and we're ending. Yeah. And isn't that like that's role playing? <laughs> that, that's it. Yep. <laughs> Maybe next time We're to be continued. It, so. yeah, yeah, to be continued next time you'll tell yeah, yeah. me uh, why battle reports suck. In case anyone next doesn't time, know. I'll tell you all that. Yeah. In case anyone doesn't know, where do they find you, man? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, in case anyone doesn't know, where do they find you? Uh, YouTube? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can find me at Televited on Instagram, and I'm on Twitter sometimes. And uh, you can find my YouTube channel at Rerolling Ones. Um, it's all one word. Rerolling ones, and then the instas, but that also will have to wait till the next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a mini painter, so I love uh, hanging on on Instagram and getting the um, adulation of people I don't know. There you go, brilliant. Got to get the got to get them dopamine hits with the likes. Checking, and, and we're at the end. Uh, checking. Thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight. Great conversation there. You're the show within the show. The reason we do this all. I'm gonna go raid Jacob Berry's stream. Uh, Shu, <laughs> thank you so much for hanging out with me tonight. Thanks, and thanks everybody for watching. All right, good night, everybody. Okay.